Welcome to another edition of Mass Mats and Ma'am. I am your host, the Outlaw LA Red. You can find me on Twitter at Justin Harvey75. You can find the entire show on the Twit Machine at MMM Show75. And we're even getting business cards made that say at MMM Show75, Byron. So you don't have to uh I know I was gonna tell you, I was gonna tell you that that I got us cards. Also, you can find our YouTube on our Instagram because I put the address on it. Do you know what the address is, Byron? Do you know how to shill properly yet? At youtube.com slash mask. Wait, mask, first of all, it's a URL. URLs don't, start, URLs don't start with do, that, Byron. You're going to do, but we're, no, but we're doing social media. So you at. Right. Mask, Every, mask we're at MMM Show 75 across all social media. Mm-hmm. Continuity. Brand right? continuity. We're trying. We're trying. And it's, the YouTube yeah. page is youtube.com forward slash masks, mats, mayhem. Oh, no that's amp- what I said. No ampersand. Got it? Can you handle that, yeah. Byron? I got it. This is why I have to give you a freaking business card. Otherwise, you'll be telling people all the wrong shit. Stay calm. It's... Why, why would you go there? Why would you do that? <laughs> uh... I don't know. I wanted to get it right. Now you got me all amped up. I'm one for one on things. All right. Well, I realize I didn't post the link yet, so I will do that in a second. Uh, of course, I opened up Twitter and I see Jimmy's giant freaking yeah. Thanos cake hand. Jimmy's Twitter feed is running um, in competition with the podcast. Our official MMM show photographer is competing with us. All right. I will say this. Uh, I have a problem with Thanos. If you listened to the show last week, you know I have a problem with Thanos. Can we say hi to everyone else on the show first? We, we'll say hi to me and, and that other guy in a second. I'm just saying, Thanos is a racist, man. Like, oh. a brother's got to die first, a brother's got to die last, a bunch of brothers die in the middle. It's all brothers dying. Meef, he's doing it again. Wait, you haven't seen it, Byron? No, but also you're doing the thing you do. What's the thing I do? You know, me. you tell him. I don't watch hockey. What's up, me? At, at me, Flo. Tell him what he's doing. He's right, though. So, sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm just saying, you know, if slavery was a choice, I wouldn't pick Thanos to be in charge oh. of anything. All right. Oh, you're going to spoil TMZ, too? Oh, my God. Here we go. So, look, I know you guys see him sitting there. Um, We've, we've known this gentleman, Mr. Killer Cross, for a long time, since before he even used the name Killer. I don't know if there's a reason why he dropped his other name, but uh, I don't want to alert legal authorities, so I'm just going to call him Killer Cross. Um, we've known him since we broke on this show a long time ago, the fact that he was uh, joining the ranks of Lucha Underground. In that particular year, he, uh, he wrestled Dark a couple times, and uh, we did not see him on TV. More about that later, but... Um, he, he joined the Lucha Underground roster. We had him on the show. We broke that news here. And that was on episode 15 of this show, almost two years ago now. And that was when we were still an audio-only podcast, um, which was pretty crazy. And, and Kev was on one of the early episodes. I'm scared, sorry, Mr. Cross was on one of the early episodes. He's going to fucking kill me. It's a um, killer. I know, but he wrote such beautiful prose here. I got to get this right. So. Okay. <laughs> Oh, sorry. I didn't know you were reading what he wrote you. Please, please go ahead. Go ahead. Well, it, I mean, when the choices presented to you are read this fucking intro or read your own obituary, then, you know, you, you, you read the intro. So 
Um, and I kid, I kid. He he wouldn't kill me. I don't think. Um, he probably would. So anyway, he was on episode fifteen of the show. What two two years ago, Byron? Like J- June of of oh. twenty sixteen, I think was the first time we had Killer yeah. Cross on the show. Long time ago. Long um, time ago. And since then. Our audience has grown exponentially, and uh, Mr. Cross has slowly taken over the entire world of wrestling. So back then, I believe he was still FSW champion. He went undefeated for 932 days in that promotion, and 421 of those he had the belt. Uh, and correct me if I, if I go off the rails at any point in time. Um, he had 32 successful title defenses. Um, since then, he's also had the title in Modern Vintage Wrestling and Maverick Pro. Um, he's been seen in AAA helping out Taya and Johnny Mundo back, Mm -hmm. uh, last year, quite a bit. Um, he's been seen in house of hardcore, uh, a million independent promotions in between. Um, and he also just won the cauliflower alley, the cauliflower alley rising star of 2018 award, which is huge, huge kudos for, recognizing something that i think we knew for a while but man sometimes you gotta let people know and when you get those accolades it it puts a either a target on your chest or a target on everyone else's chest i don't know in this case i think it's everyone else um and uh all signs really point to the fact that we're about to see him a lot this year not just watching magic tricks at uh you know wwe tryouts but i think we'll we'll see him (laughs) in a lot a lot of places this year so with that being said, I think it's time to welcome the Herald of Doomsday, the Toll Man himself, Mr. Killer Cross. How's it going? Good evening. It's going very well. Thank you. That was quite the introduction. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. A lot of our listeners may not have heard some of those early shows back when we were just an audio podcast. So I thought it was time to to reintroduce you to the world, uh, especially the, the audience that uh, may not know everything that we know about you from the past couple of years. Well, it's much appreciated. Those are good times. And, uh, this is going to be a good time as well. So I guess the, the, the first big thing we have to ask you about is, uh, a lot of our listeners know that, uh, you made a very interesting appearance, you and a couple of friends and a couple of burlap sacks, um, in a very big way in a place that, I didn't quite frankly expect to see you again. You showed up at AAA this week along with Teddy Hart and Juventud Guerrero. What the heck is going on there? I never thought I was going to ever go back to AAA, um, ever. Uh, I wasn't necessarily angry. I was more disappointed in how uh, things were handled or lack thereof. However, you never say never in this business, and uh, no, I didn't do anything wrong. So uh, I was contacted uh, by their office, uh, by who you could probably guess, and uh, a concept was pitched to me, and I was all about it. They were speaking my language when I got the phone call, and very much like the first time around within seven days, suddenly I was dropping out of the air into Mexico and uh, ruining people's lives again on, on television which is always, uh, always dandy. Well, what was fun about it for me this time is we got to see it live on Twitch going down. And I got to tell you, 
even with the stuff that you were doing last year, which I enjoyed plenty, I can't say that I've been this excited uh, about just an entire event for AAA in a long time. First of all, those guys in the opening match freaking killed it. Uh, I talked about that in depth last week. If you want to hear me talk about it and rave, and I've watched that, I've watched it two or three times. Um, and there was a few good matches in there, but the first thing that blew my mind was the Teddy Hart thing because I didn't expect to see Teddy Hart back there at all either. I'm sure everybody knows that Teddy Hart has a reputation, and you can look up what he's got a reputation for, uh, and you can look up why he hasn't been in AAA, um, and the whole thing where his music hits for the match, but then he doesn't come out. And it just seems like pitch perfect, exactly the world of Teddy Hart. And I'm just, I'm having a good laugh to myself. Like, Oh my God, did Teddy really just get back in and just totally blow it before he even stepped out of the curtain? I had no clue what was going on. I don't know if that shit was written just to work me. If it wasn't even a work and maybe he did blow this, but I have no fucking clue. And right there, it just kind of set the tone for a super fun evening of just like, what the hell is going on in AAA? Um, so, I mean, you've got to be backstage with, with Teddy at this point in time. Like, what's it like just being around Teddy and Hoovy? Because out of the three most psychotic people I could think of to put into a faction, that, that's a pretty, pretty high list right there of crazy dudes, including yourself. 90% of the time we're... Uh... We're howling, laughing. We're pretty much in hysterics. Um, the other 10% of the time, we're working. So it's pretty surreal. You know, the very first Lucha Libre match I ever saw in my life was Rey Mysterio and Juventud Guerrero in ECW. Like, that was the first, that was my first introduction to Lucha Libre. That was the very first match I'd ever seen. So it's very surreal on, uh, on many different levels to, you know, just be like a personal friend with Juventud. Like, that's just, it's very odd. You know, I've had a lot of this. A lot of surreal experiences since I got into this business. Like I, I'm pretty sure I've said it before. It's you grow up watching these people on TV, and in life in general, you're not supposed to meet the people that you watch on television. That's just not supposed to happen, or work with them, or or be a part of all that. There's like probably a 0.1% chance of all the people on the entire planet that are ever going to meet the people that they regularly watch on TV. And especially as you guys understand, watching pro wrestling, it's you know it's the longest late night running program in United States history. So we've been watching these guys since we were kids, just walking around with Hoovy and Teddy and I just vibed right off the bat. Like we just understand each other without really having to say a whole lot. I, I, I don't know. I, it's a little dramatic and cliche to say we're cut from the same cloth. We're definitely not. But I think um, I think when him and I just really uh, understand each other, we get each other. So, yeah, that, that night was extremely funny. I won't tell that story because it'll be a better story if Teddy tells it. But uh, when that happened, we had a pretty good laugh about it as well. So, <laughs> Well, it does kind of put you in, a, in a, a certain rarefied air. I mean, you're, you're in a faction with Hooventude and, you know, a member of the Hart family. These are the things when you get into the business that you can't possibly have imagined in the amount of time that you've been in the wrestling world that you would get yourself into, is it? No, not at all. And I'm very much of the state of mind, like, you know, my head's down and I'm working. I rarely ever am even comfortable enough to just stop and smell the roses. And I was talking to somebody about this recently. I really need to start doing that. I'm so focused and driven on being in a place where I think I should be. Um, and not from a self-entitled egocentric point of view, but just a place that I should be working towards. And I'm not there yet. 
I'm not in that place, so I don't really pay attention to a whole lot. Like I'm on the highway and I'm redlining this engine to get to where I need to be. But as I'm on my way there, there's so much to see and take in. And it, it, usually that stuff doesn't hit me until the show's done. I'm on a plane on the way back going, wow, that, is, that, is this fucking real life? Like, did that just happen? How, like, you know, I have these moments where I just look around and I'm like, there's a lot of shit going on right now. And I'm not, I'm not paying attention to any of it. And maybe that's just my fight or flight thing. Like, I'm very orientated on the task at hand. So, no, how could you ever orchestrate something like that? That's pretty, that's pretty awesome. Well, so, okay, but this begs the question. I think you fit into these circles perfectly, but how the hell, how the hell did this all come to pass? You're doing WWE tryouts. You're getting work in promotions all over the country. You're working House of Hardcore. You're in factions south of the border with, with these top-name guys like... Was this from from knowing Glenn in Vegas and him knowing people, or like how do how do you get from you know where you were two years ago even when we met you and you were getting somewhere even then, but to, to where you are now where you're one of the top guys in the business? Well, I'm I'm really happy to say that nobody has ever pulled any fucking strings from me, and there have been times where I've been really frustrated about that, um, but it's so much more fulfilling and worth so much more to me personally when my work speaks for itself and I get those opportunities. Um, obviously, Disco introduced me to Conan. Um, not, not necessarily personally, but he introduced my work to him. And then Conan, just on his own, was following me uh, over a period of time. And he saw enough where he was like, okay, you know, Glenn's not you know, full of shit. Like, he's not like just putting this guy over because he's his friend or he's run classes with him. Uh, Conan at his own pace warmed up to me and um, it wasn't over any favors. He, he legitimately thinks that I can draw money and viewership to anything that I'm attached to. And I'm hell bent on doing that um, anywhere I go. That's, that's the level of contribution I'm interested in making with a company that I work with. I'm all about business. I'm all about, you know, getting as much mileage as I possibly can out of everything that a company is going to do to keep that residual audience and then grow the audience as well. And back to what you said about that opening match at AAA, you guys are going to see a very, very brand new direction, a very deliberately brand new direction that AAA is going to be going in moving forward. Um, it's not my business to talk about what's going on backstage, but there are going to be some changes in the immediate future that are going to be what many believe to be um, optimizing the content of that program. And you're going to see a lot more of what you saw in that opening match um, very, very soon, probably actually moving forward. So I'm very proud to be a part of um, what may become um, a talent revolution. And uh, yeah, I mean, I've, I've still got so much to show. I mean, a lot of my work was, uh, was limited um, the last run. Even though it was entertaining and it was fun, I still have a lot that I can do that nobody's seen yet. And I've been waiting for the right time to let it out. And I think it's, I think it's time to let the cat out of the bag this time around. You still have that briefcase? Yeah. <laughs> No, I don't. Um, I don't. But, you know, I was just thinking about this the other day. I've never been pinned or submitted in AAA. So technically, I've been undefeated for, I don't know, like a year in AAA. So I feel like I'm going to carry an air into this company that may be just as valuable as having a title because the titles, you know, they come and go. Uh, you know, one minute somebody's a champion, the next somebody else is a champion. But I've had uh, a pure consistency of something that no one has been able to disrupt so hopefully the commentators and uh, the program picks up on that because 
I think there's a lot of value in that if it is going to be acknowledged by commentary and the people actually understand that on a mass basis. Well, I think uh, from what I know about Teddy and Hoovy, uh, they're definitely going to need somebody with their head on a swivel watching their back, too. I think I think yeah. you might have your hands full just keeping an eye on them and getting in the ring when you need to. Like you wouldn't fucking believe. On <laughs> <laughs> the money with that. You could not be more right. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's funny, too, because, you know, I look at the three of you guys and it's like, okay... Cross is the kind of guy that'll bury a body in the desert. Movie's yeah. the kind that might leave him in the hotel bathtub. And Teddy's the kind of guy that'll leave a body in the middle of the street and stand over him and laugh as the cops show up. So where, what do you do with those three guys in a faction? Holy <laughs> crap. Yeah. I think you just watch. See what they do. Yeah. Well, it's certainly, it's certainly entertaining too. And, um, don't think that the little piece of, of a certain um, guy walking up the ramp um, went unnoticed either. Um, and I, I know you probably can't say, but uh, I'd love to see how Conan himself is going to factor into to things because uh, he is another person I absolutely never imagined that I would see uh, involved with AAA in any fashion ever again. Sure. I mean, a lot of people are... Uh are speculating as to what his role is, if any, in AAA. And uh, I think things are going to, uh, we're about to turn a corner at this next event this month. I believe it's on the 18th. And um, yeah, tune in if you can, catch the results, watch it and see what happens. I promise you, things moving forward are gonna be very fresh and interesting. So, okay, I think uh, most of our viewers know that you you did visit, Orlando for a WWE tryout not too long ago. What was that like? I mean, obviously, uh, you have chosen to do some other stuff, but what was it like just kind of getting a feel of, of what they were doing down there? It was really fun. You know, I attended a tryout, I think, in my first year, and that was in Columbus, Ohio. I talked about that a while ago, and that was public. That wasn't at the Performance Center. And uh, I have a lot of friends in that company, and I had been hearing so much positive feedback from the performance center and that whole experience there's thought hey why not let's, let's go down there and see how it goes it went it went really really well uh i had a blast uh i learned actually a lot of interesting stuff about some exercise science and stuff they have a really really um smart efficient team down there that uh, constructs and creates diet programs and uh, workout programs and such and i get to pick their brains a little bit it was really fun and actually some things that actually was doing down there i've actually routinely done every single week since i've left because um it's just super efficient just makes you a better version of yourself as an athlete so nothing but positive things to say about it it was very very cool are there uh any guys that you met there that we should be on the lookout for because it seemed like there was some great talent that kind of showed up there around the same time Mm, hard to say i mean yes there was definitely great talent there every single person that was there um, absolutely deserve to be there. That's without a doubt. Everyone was very 100% committed to it. Um, in terms of uh, that talent being elsewhere or there, I mean, who's to say? <laughs> How do you, I, there was, there was a, I don't want to say it was controversial, but it was a very uh, spoken about video from the tryout um, where uh, there was magic done. <laughs> And there was a very strong reaction to it. 
by a lot of people, but also um, by you. And I was, I was wondering what was going through your head. Well, I was wondering what was going through everyone else's head because as I was watching that man do magic, I was thinking to myself, warlocks are enemies of God. And here he is doing magic in front of everyone. And I'm like, oh my God, like, is he, is he possessed? Is he a demon? Is, it, is he some sort of manifestation of Lucifer, Satan, the beast with the horns and the 666 and the lady riding his back? I don't know. So you almost had a new best friend. Yeah. I mean, I, we tried to talk to him, but you know, he was just a very to himself He's doing magic tricks and shit to people and trying to possess small animals and pigeons. But I just, uh, yeah, that was very fascinating. I was looking for Father Karras. I thought maybe an exorcism may have been most appropriate, but nobody listened. Yeah, I'm crazy, right? I mean, you know, there's different kinds of exorcisms, though. Sometimes you just put a guy off his head on the concrete. That can work, too. That works, too. I mean, if there's anything that's not supposed to be in your body or supposed to be in your body, it'll probably leave your body if you get dive bombed. <laughs> okay, so... I have to ask you this question. Um, what do you think about Lucha Libre in general? I know you said that the, the first thing you saw was uh, Ray in, in ECW, but what, what's your kind of opinion about the, the state in general of Lucha Libre these days? I think Lucha Libre is stronger than ever. I think right now Lucha Libre is evolving into, I mean, I wouldn't even know what to call it. If I had to coin a phrase, we'd call it hybrid Lucha Libre. You have a lot of Americans, some English guys, and then just a cluster of people all around the world that are incorporating Lucha Libre spots and tumbling, I guess is what they call it in gymnastics. They're incorporating a lot of that into wrestling. There's a lot of Lucha Libre in New Japan. Like, just think about that for a moment. Just take that in. The history of New Japan Pro Wrestling, All Japan Pro Wrestling, all of the Japanese wrestling companies, they have Japanese wrestling. You can call it strong style if you want. You can call it whatever you want, but they have their own style. And now we're starting to see a Lucha Libre influence in Japan. I mean, I think based on that, if you observe it within those parameters, I'd say Lucha Libre is doing all right. Mm -hmm. well, it was I mean, interesting to see um, Pentagon and Phoenix wrestle Austin Aries too. Um, I mean, I, Austin Aries, I would associate more as like uh, as an independent wrestler, what, you know, more skilled guy. Um, but he hung with them. It was weird because Pentagon and Phoenix, that's a Lucha Libre match. Sure. But is, is it, yeah. Oh, no, go ahead, please. Uh, so like Pentagon and Phoenix, that's Lucha Libre. But then you throw in <laughs> Austin Aries, is that still Lucha Libre or is that something else? Yeah, but Libre is like, you know, the ground wrestling, the mat wrestling. So it's not necessarily all high flying. Sure. That's true. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's, there's been shades of Lucha Libre in pro wrestling for a long time. Dynamite Kid and Owen Hart had a lot of Lucha Libre spots. Um, but I just feel like now more than ever, I feel like there's a stronger presence of it. I've always felt that Brian Danielson's always done a lot of Lucha Libre stuff in, in his work, even though it's resembled a lot of Dynamite and Benoit. Um, but Dynamite and Benoit had Lucha stuff. Uh, not all completely, but there were things incorporated. And uh, Seth Rollins, I mean, who's considered next AJ Styles the best performer probably in the commercialized industry at this present time, who can 
kind of do everything. There's a lot of Lucha Libre stuff in what he does. Same thing with Styles. So I think it's, I think it's strong right now. And uh, I don't remember who I was talking to about this recently, but you know, pro wrestling. You can, you can. There's a million things to call it. You can call it uh, sports, sports entertainment. You can call it uh, play fighting in your in your underwear. I mean, you can call it whatever you want. But at the end of the day, I would really like to hope that someone in the business and outside the business can come to a common ground and understand and agree that pro wrestling is a performance art. So in the year 2018, if WWE is booking half their show for the wrestling fan and half their show for the casual viewer, just the person flipping through the channel, they have to take into consideration that people who may not watch wrestling, who may stop and watch it for a moment, you know, they're either not going to watch it for very long in the beginning or they're going to become closet wrestling fans because nobody wants to be judged and ridiculed by other people who don't watch wrestling for watching something silly because a lot of people feel like, hey, this is a program where it's not real, it's not real fighting, and they're trying to undermine my intelligence. The more they lean towards calling pro wrestling a performance art, the more casual viewers they will get. That's just my opinion. And I think Lucha Libre is actually doing a great service to that. Well put answer. <laughs> and this is why we ask the questions because sometimes you, uh, you have to play the games to know the scores. Um, okay. So here's what I'd love to do. Mr. Killer cross. I would love to have an evening with a killer. We have some questions that I think if you give us, uh, your answers to this, this will effectively probe your brain and get some real insight into who you are. Uh, they might seem a little strange at first, but I think that I think that we'll really get to the bottom of of what people should know about you and what they should do if they see you on the street, if they should cross to the other side, or if they should stop and say hi. Um, so, the first one, and hopefully this is easy, what are your top five movies of all time? Bronson. Natural Born Killers, Dark City, Babe, Pig in the City. Don't laugh, Iron. Don't laugh. And Best of the Best. Okay. I gotta ask, why Babe? Pig in the City. Pig, pig in the City. I'm not, that's the second one? Correct. Excellent. You know, is, <laughs> is there laugh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not laughing. I'm. I'm curious. I'm curious. Um, Meef is drinking. He is there something it. about the pig that um, makes you like that particular film? Babe is the ultimate babyface. He is the underdog. It is an excellent story that humanizes animals. And the more you pay attention to it and look at it, it's very Orwellian, very much like Animal Farm. There's a lot of human nature and a lot of satires from a sociological standpoint and psychological standpoint on human beings and how they operate within social food chains, so to speak. I'm going to let that answer stand. And I'm going to, I'm going to go to the, the next one. Um, um, okay, yeah, let's, let's go with something a little easier here um top five wrestlers of all time kurt angle 
Lesnar, Kenta Kabashi, Dr. Death Steve Williams. Um that that actually that that seems correct though Casey is probably crying somewhere that you didn't say Psycho Sid. But yeah, but Psycho Sid didn't drop people on their heads with this duplex. There's no? like a recurring theme. <laughs> there is a little bit. Um the Pillman one I find interesting cuz I have a, my theory about Pillman is I honestly wonder if there would be an attitude era if you had never had Pillman now, given he was, he was certainly before that time. But if you look at what he was doing, mm -hmm. do you think that there, there could be an attitude era without a Brian Pillman out there in the world, shaking things up? I don't believe so. I mean, not the attitude era in the way that we saw it, I don't think would have ever occurred. I think that a lot of people attempted to follow Brian Pillman's lead and uh, they never really did, but they continued to drive in the direction that Brian Pillman was going in, and we landed where we did. But he was on to some things that nobody else were on to, and it really just had to do with having the guts to go out there and do something that he was 100% wholeheartedly committed to in delivering with sincerity to an audience because he knew that it was going to get over. I mean, it did, and it... it I, there's there's times when it was I think hard on him and and slow going and I don't know if everyone got it especially in the back but there's something about it if you go back and just look at the career of Brian Pillman and for you youngsters for you millennials watching the show that don't know hit the YouTube and and read the interwebs yeah. um, it was like the first one who really was shooting in an angle on TV like not like go on off script like it, it was part of the story that was being told it was an extra layer and on top of that he worked a company into straight up releasing him from a contract and then he went and worked for their competitor i mean it was all just it's still insane to describe it i mean and honestly i think it also um it legitimized the relevance of the message boards and the early internet followers of wrestling like i don't think we'd be here right now without that that level i mean it it people were going to the internet then and trying to figure out what was happening backstage if it was a work mm -hmm. or if it was a shoot and you know you no longer just had to call mean jeans hotline and get whatever his half of work was um or the marshall Right. I mean, and but but some of the internet stuff was still like that. I mean, it was really yeah. kind of, you know, the wild, wild west. And, and he was the first one drawing the six guns. He I think that's a, throat. <laughs> <laughs> and awesome answers. I mean, and that's all after he proved himself as a Hollywood blonde, too. And, you know, as flying Brian, like he already had two careers pretty much before he revolutionized pro wrestling. Absolutely. So cross why, um, why Kenta? Kenta Kabashi's work was undeniably violent and very much like Pillman's personality and the energy that he put out there, I was always very, very magnetically drawn 
to watching Kenta Kabashi's work, I believed it. I believed everything that he was doing, being very certain I had a very strong grasp and comprehension of what this business actually was before I was involved with it. And then once I got involved with it, my appreciation became even that much better. Uh, that's really the best way I could summarize it. There was just a, a, a level of physicality that Kenta Kabashi brought and his connection with being such a maestro of the audience in between all of that. I think that he's someone who raised the bar on what professional wrestling was supposed to look like in Japan and thus changing professional wrestling everywhere because as you know, it tends to mirror and parallel itself in all places. When one place changes, it kind of tends to set other things into motion, like myself. That does seem to be, there does seem to be a certain trickle down effect there. Okay. So back to an evening with a killer. Question number three. Um, top five people you would go back in time and abort as a fetus if you could. David Spade. Oh. Number one is David Spade. Okay. Oh. Any particular reason why? I fucking hate David Spade. Have okay. you seen Joe Dirt? I have. That's one of the most compelling reasons why he not exist. Wasn't there a sequel to that movie? I only no. It's not mentioned that. Fucking <sighs> David Spade. Um, I would abort everyone who was involved with producing the movie Highlander Endgame and Highlander Three and Two. Two was the the the, the like the sci-fi space age one, wasn't it? I just—I was just so spiritually disturbed by how they completely fucking ruined such an incredible story. <sighs> Gotta catch my breath. <laughs> so the yeah, poster for Highlander Two should have said, "There can be only one, and you should go back and watch it." Exactly. They could have done the TV show with Adrian Paul. I really enjoyed that. There's so many ways they could have went around doing this, but it's the whole fucking story is about there can only be one and the guy kills fucking connor at the end of the last film to get strong enough to fight jacob kell whatever his fucking name is the guy with the with the with the fucking crucifix on his boots he's always walking on a holy ground whoa and then he fucking kills him and then there's the girl who's also an immortal and he doesn't kill her i mean the whole fucking series was about being the last fucking one and this guy kills the most beloved character of the fucking series, and he does not kill this woman, you know, his love, who really was a piece of shit. You know, she was a, a treacherous person who, if they did another movie, she should fucking kill Duncan because he's so stupid, and she should be the one. But there was supposed to be one, and the series just wraps, and there was never one. There was two, and no one ever gets the fucking prize. I mean, Jesus Christ. How do you fuck that up? All right. Uh, number Are three. There are three more. I'm yes. a little worried. Yes, number three. Uh, aborted fetus. I'd probably have to say... Hmm, the guy who played RoboCop in RoboCop 3, not Peter Weller. Once again, there's only one RoboCop. I don't even want to know the guy's name. But the actor who played RoboCop in RoboCop 3, 
had no business being in the RoboCop series. This is a very, very touchy subject for me. Um, I could not get into RoboCop 3 because I knew it wasn't Peter Weller in the suit. Wasn't that one also like rated PG? Yes. I do RoboCop. Shit. It's just fucking ridiculous. So whoever that guy was in the RoboCop suit for three. Okay. Number four. I mean, I can tell you who the guy is, but I don't think you want to know. I need to know. Do you know? Um... I believe don't, it was. You're gonna get hurt. Don't do it. Okay. No, you're I... gonna be responsible for someone's death. <laughs> Tell me later. Don't put it on the air. Black helicopters are flying over my house as we speak right now. Okay. I'll just give you his initials. R R J B. Thank you. I'm gonna have my secretary look into that. Number Robert four. Downey Jr. No. Nope. No. 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 R J B. Number four. Mm. This is you're, you're laying this on me. There's a lot of people that really shouldn't be here, but it's really hard to limit it down to five. I got to tell you, picking top five is very difficult. So there's more than five. Oh, there's definitely more than five. Okay. Well, I mean, it doesn't have to be the top five, just five that you are, you know, kind of at the top of your mind right now. Hey, the person at Starbucks from Gold Coast Casino just this weekend, when I went in there and I asked for a cup of black coffee, and they told me there was no more black coffee. That was uh, that was extremely disturbing. So whoever that person is, we need to go back in time with uh, with Model 101, and we need to terminate them. So wait, wait, you're saying in a Starbucks? Correct. That's fair. A, a coffee shop? Just black coffee, that's all I wanted. They couldn't figure out black coffee. Now, had it, had you said you wanted a pumpkin spice latte frappuccino, could they have done that? Perhaps, but I, I was just told that they said they didn't have any black coffee. And they said, would you like anything else? And I didn't respond, and I slowly walked away. You should have choke slammed him. No, um, we're, no, we're happy that he walked away. Walking, no. No, walking away, walking away is good in public places with cameras, Byron. Justified homicide. So what do you, well, yeah. this one really boggles my mind. So what do you, what, what do you do if you don't get to buy coffee? Do you go, go like get McDonald's cigarette ash tasting coffee or something? Like, what do you do after that? I had to walk out of the hotel because my body temperature was raising and I broke out into a full body sweat. So I went outside and I stood in the shade for a little while to cool down. Um, and then uh, I just had to walk that off and process that. And I was just thinking to myself, no one would ever believe this story. It's too ridiculous. Like, no one would ever believe that this just happened, so there's no point in talking about it. But now I'm talking about it. It's good yeah. to talk things through sometimes. Is there a fifth one, dare I ask? There is a fifth one. Um, I don't know if I should say it. I think you can. I mean, I think we're, we're, we're safe here. Yeah. Whoever produced Ghoulies 2. <laughs> Ghoulies was a fantastic film. Um, whoever got the rights to that script and did that film, uh, did something very inhumane to the human race. It was a horrible tragedy that that movie was ever produced. It upset me, it offended me, and quite frankly, it was a far fall from the very first film. Ghoulies 1 is an absolute masterpiece. Okay. All right, so here, here's my last one of these. Um, this one, I, I believe this was yours, Meef. This might have been yours. Top five places for a first date. 
Was that yours, Meatloaf? This one's really nice and heartwarming. This might not be as scary as the other ones. Uh, Number one would be the woods. Oh. Okay. Woods can be romantic. Just get out into nature where there's uh, no cameras or people or anything like that. Just have an honest conversation out in the open. Number two would be like an abandoned bowling alley where there's no humans, but you can you can bowl. You know, you have a good time. Third place would probably have to be like uh, anywhere abandoned. Anywhere abandoned is nice where there's no humans. There's no human beings anywhere. You just get privacy and things are quiet. Quiet's good. Yeah, yeah. I guess the fourth place would be like an abandoned movie theater where you can watch movies in peace where people don't scream and talk and when they get scared watching a film, they have to pretend to laugh because it's some sort of self, you know, defense mechanism that their body is like trying to go in the opposite direction that they're so fucking embarrassed that they have to start laughing and verbally make fun of the whole movie so everyone can hear. And they think that it's not a transparent situation that we all don't know that they're scared. Um, we should make that whoever does that like number six on the aborted fetus people just to backtrack that. You I think Byron, I think Byron saw um, truth or dare with that audience. I saw truth or dare and someone answer the phone twice. That's brutal. I really enjoyed that film, by the way. Me too. I, I hope a lot of people did for Chris Roach's sake, because I'd like to see him write a sequel to it. Me too. Number five on a um, place, you know, best top five places to take somebody on a date. I think the Batcave, if you could find it in Wayne Manor, would be an excellent place to take someone on a date. It's quiet. It's dark. I mean, only Alfred's down there with a few bats, and there's televisions everywhere. You can pretty much watch whatever you want. So, all right, okay, um, okay. Um, I got some, I got some non-evening with a killer questions. Maybe let's try, let's try uh, confirm or deny. Okay. We tried this with Eric Van Wagnen. It went pretty good, except for. The part where he buried Vampiro and Vamp got mad at us and it was a Twitter thing and it was it was a thing. But it's fine now. It's fine now. Everyone is happy. I think everyone got sushi. So we're gonna try we're gonna try this again. Confirm or deny. Um in in the mad faction, is Conan your leader? Is Hoovy your leader? Who's the leader? Confirm or deny if Conan is the leader. I cannot confirm or deny that Conan is the leader. But if I had to choose one or the other, I would deny it. Interesting. I like this. Is that because you guys are just uh, all rogue spirits anyway, and you're just kind of a cohesive group, or is he uh, too busy with his other jobs? Well, here's the scary and, and frightening truth about it. I don't ever know what's going on. I just like to beat people up in a public forum. So if you give me money to do that, I don't ask a lot of questions. If they play money, <laughs> Ring is going to get dive bombed. That's the actual truth of it. I love that answer. That is that is a great answer. Um, I'm innocent, always. Well, so now we know that uh, Sexy Star and uh, El Zorro were uh, members of Mad and MDA back back in the day when you guys kind of started this whole thing, you and Hoobie and Mister Conan. So, um, 
can you confirm or deny Sexy Star's involvement with the current incarnation of Mad? Or Zoro, for that matter. I can confirm that Sexy Star is not a part of Mad currently in the presentation that people have seen in AAA, but I cannot deny that you may not ever see Zoro in AAA in Mad. All right, love it. He's a he's a bad motherfucker, that guy. Can you confirm or deny that you deserve the 2018 Cauliflower Alley Award for Top Rising Star in Wrestling? I can confirm that I am deserving of this award. Not to say that others are not, but I think uh, I'm I'm okay with it. I'm good with it. Okay. Um. Well, now I have it on good authority that you are, in fact, going to be involved in some fashion in Lucha Underground Season 4. But can you confirm or deny that the fashion in which you're going to be involved in Lucha Underground Season 4 is, in fact, to carry Matt Stryker's bags from the uh, van that shows up to bring people from the hotel? Is it your job to carry his bags from that van into his office and wait patiently until he's ready to go back to that van? Um, can you confirm or deny that rumor that I heard from? Um, let me see. This is at underscore M. It uh, doesn't matter. Can you confirm or deny that rumor? I am able to confirm that this is untrue. <laughs> and I am able to confirm that if I didn't love Matt Stryker dearly, I would compound fracture his C6 vertebrae really, really, really fucking fast. Oh, that's his favorite one, too. It sure is. He can say whatever he wants about me. He's done quite a bit for me. And I don't think he even likes it when I say that. But he's uh, we're from the same neck of the woods, so to speak. And uh, I appreciate him. <laughs> well, we do have it on, on good authority that um, your contract with Lucha Underground is still valid. But since you signed that contract, things have changed quite a bit. Um, can you defirm, can confirm or deny that you are indeed allowed to perform other places on American television outside of Lucha Underground? I can confirm that I can show up anywhere, anytime, any place, because I'm not afraid to get sued or go to jail. Okay. Just making sure he doesn't behind me then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, that's a that's a, a chocolate mannequin, Meeplo. Mm -hmm. I believe that's a, a chocolatey mannequin. So. That's a whole other list of questions. Well, okay, so if you were to show up in Lucha Underground, um, what would you do? I mean, are there certain people that you'd come after? Are there certain things that you'd want to do there in, in that particular promotion? Well, with Lucha Underground, I can tell you that I can, I can actually confirm that my presentation hypothetically would be immensely violent. And I think everyone who's watching this and listening to this should really tune into season four. It's going to be a very good season. And no bag carrying. Um, the only bags that I carry would be the ones that human beings are being placed into, and they belong to me. Uh, okay. Uh, 
Hold on, let me write this down. Brings own body bags to shows. Okay. Um, you don't want that written down. Is, is, well, I'm is just going to be a morgue then. <laughs> you know, a mortician gimmick could actually work if if presented by someone who genuinely likes to collect bodies. Yeah, <laughs> I think. Um, okay, so. This isn't a confirm or deny. This is a genuine question that we had. Um, what exactly is the cross cult and how does someone become a member? The cross cult is a group of people that subscribe to the ideology of being self-liberated and I guess pursuing self-improvement and the only way to join, and it's the only way, is to just live your life as such. And that's it. It's world friendly. Cross cult is for everyone. It sure is. <laughs> hey, that rip me off. Sometimes we might as well rip them off. Yeah, exactly. Hey, yeah. I'm, I'm cross cult all the way. Killer cross. Yay. Hey, that's a cool shirt. How's it look? What's what's the rest of it? We're going to talk about this shirt in a minute in, in one of my oh. upcoming questions. It's it's coming soon. Um, so can you confirm or deny that your story on the end of the House of Hardcore episode that aired on Twitch a couple weeks ago is true? Every story that I've told on Real Stories with House of Hardcore, I can confirm that they are all unfortunately true. <laughs> they are all true. And uh, I'm telling you the truth when I say this. I've never publicly talked about I have friends that I've known for <sighs> like 15 years, maybe, you know, 10, 8, 5 people that I'm very close with that don't even know those stories. There's only a couple people outside of who I worked with that know about that stuff. And, um, a lot of that stuff happened a long time ago. It's not anything recent, which is why I'm talking about it. There's been a, a level of clearance. Some time has passed. So, but I have a lot of stories like that. And I was just in a very bizarre mood that day when we were shooting. And I was just, I was really overwhelmed with the level of um, sincerity, I guess, in which I was receiving from everyone who was at House of Hardcore and especially Tommy. And, you know, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of return the favor and, and being authentic and, and talking about that. And it's like, I don't know if there's anything I could ever do um, in return for, I guess, the things Tommy Dreamer's done for me. And just in terms of like providing me with insight and helping me make uh, the most optimized and best decisions for myself uh, with the opportunities that are being given to me, you know, but, or just, you know, just for being a good guy. I just thought this is the this is if I'm ever going to tell these stories, this is the time and place to do it. I think, you know, it would be most appreciated to do this here. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, it was um, I believe it was episode 18 of our show, or maybe it was 15, that very first appearance that you made, where you started to kind of tell one of those stories, and I could tell you backed off of it a little bit, kind of uh, like, hmm, I don't know if I should go here yet. Yeah. Um, but and and Dreamer, I just love Dreamer wore an L, uh, a Lucha Underground shirt uh, mm -hmm. last week, I believe, on, on Impact, week. or was it at the pay per view? And this week, week he's wearing the original Hot Rod shirt, not the Ronda one, which equally classic. Like 
Tommy's t-shirt collection is exactly what I want to see on TV. You know, and Teddy too with his, wore his elite club shirt on a triple A show. Lost it. Like the second I realized, I was like, does anybody in the back know that he's wearing a fucking elite shirt right now? <laughs> so, did did Teddy even know he was wearing an elite shirt? I guess might be the real question. Yes, he did. That, he did. I can that. He was very aware of it. <laughs> I uh, I almost thought that somebody handed it to him as a rib, like, "Hey, just put this on Teddy and go out." Wait, we need to send Teddy MMM show shirts. Please, please, and thank you. We need to send Tommy Dreamer a couple, apparently, as well. Um, but yeah, if you go back on SoundCloud and listen to episode fifteen and eighteen with uh, Mr. Cross, you get a little more insight. And and that actually brings me to a quick question. I got the feeling that from your extensive training and your background, that when you got into wrestling you were almost afraid to throw closed hand fish strikes because you might, you know, legit KO somebody. Was that a real concern for you? It was huge. It was the biggest concern. I was more afraid to strike with people than even going out there and working a match unprepared. I was mortified of it. Um, I had, you know, and I talked to actually, wow, I talked about this on House of Hardcore, which I, I almost wish I didn't. But uh, it's out there now. So, but uh, I always had a natural ability, and a lot of the, I mean, the men and the women actually in my family were like this on my father's side. We all hit really fucking hard. You know, I'm not trying to toot my own horn. It's just like it was. We've never, nobody in my family has ever had to try to knock somebody out. It's never been like we're going to try to do that. You know, as a kid, I, I figured it out really quick. Like if I was going to hit somebody, they were going to get knocked out. Um, I don't know what it is. And maybe it's just the way we were all taught growing up. You know, I grew up in a, in a combat sports friendly household. Uh, I was hitting, I was hitting pads when I was very, uh, very young. I was sparring when I was very young. Uh, so were people in my family. That's the kind of, that was just the culture we grew up in. So, you know, going to wrestling, uh, all my reflexes are, are to hit like that. So it's like, you just, you know where you want to hit and your hand goes there. Like that's the mental coordination that I've reinforced my entire life. So obviously watching wrestling, I, I had a complete comprehension that all this stuff had to be pulled in such a manner where I was not going to end somebody's fucking life. But it was very difficult, especially when you're going 100 miles an hour and there's not a whole lot of time to think. You know, um, so that, that, uh, that was a very, very, very difficult corner to turn for me. It took a long time. And actually, uh, wholeheartedly, I'm telling you, Disco Inferno actually was the one who helped me turn that corner. He tirelessly worked with me to correct some of my mobility patterns. And I spent a lot of time with him specifically within that dimension. He's very good at teaching that. He's very, 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 you know, well beyond capable of teaching things um, that he himself does not even do. He's able to teach more than what he's able to do. And he's got people worked so good into thinking that he's, a, that he's an asshole and a, and, a, and a jester. He's just very comfortable with himself and doesn't mind being the butt end of jokes. He's very secure with himself, and he thinks it's funny to get under people's skin. So, But the truth of it is, is that guy's a genius, and he's an excellent teacher, and he has a lot of patience, and he's very, very smart. So uh, I credit that to him completely. Well, I think, you know, to be the greatest coach in the world, you don't necessarily have to be able to do what you're coaching. I mean, you look at guys like Freddie Roach in boxing. 
Freddie Roach isn't going to get in there and piece somebody up, but he sure as fuck could teach you how. Um, Greg Jackson, you know, uh, these guys, like, just a mind for it. I mean, the guy will read Sun Tzu and then come back to you and teach you something about how you can pin somebody in a ring with that information. I mean, that's just, the you know, tacticians and strategists and guys who are smart, like, like Disco Inferno, you don't necessarily have to be able to go in there and do it. Not that I'm sure he didn't wish at some point in time that he was the top guy doing all of those things that he knew and had in his brain, because I'm sure he does. I mean, who wouldn't want to be the top guy? And not that he wasn't. I mean, he was what? He was TV champ for ages at one point in time, right? Yeah. I mean, just I can tell you, I, I'm sure he wouldn't mind speaking for him in this regard, because I feel like I have a pretty strong grasp and comprehension of how he felt about it. But he's not an egomaniac, and he had a very good understanding of what his role was. And his role was not that because he was limited to do things. He was not booked in that manner for so long because he was not able to be more than that. He was booked like that because the way the business was structured at the time, that's what was needed. And they needed people like that to be able to help build stars um, and to be able to get certain narratives and angles over and stuff like that. Um, he knew how to get heat. And if there was somebody out there that really wasn't hitting home, with the audience, they would call Glenn and he would be able to do it. And it's just kind of funny and ironic that a lot of the guys that Glenn put over will take jabs at him, not realizing that they could not get over and it was Glenn who got them over. So as great as they were, there was a period of time where they actually had, you know, management had to call Glenn and be like, can you help this fucking idiot? You know what I mean? I'm just saying, it's funny that they don't observe it like that, but I do. And, uh, all those people that, that don't have the, uh, the nicest or complimentary things to say about him who worked with him. I don't think they realized what he was really doing for them because they may or may not actually understand why they were over. So, I mean, I think if you, if you go back in time and you watch the kickoff to that second hour of nitro, and there was like a solid year and a half where he was typically anchoring that segment and getting the whole second half of the show started hot, you know, and then, and then the NWO segment would happen or whatever else was going on, the, you know, top of the card storyline. Well, what are you say going to cross us yeah. Not not everybody gets to play Romeo in the school play. Sure, but he he was yeah, also the underdog. I remember he was the underdog, sort of on another level. Where, um, I mean, I I was super stoked when he won his first belt. I remember the double cross body, and he looked like he jammed his wrist on it. Like I, that's one of my most vivid wrestling memories. You know. Um, but it's like he had the whole under underdog story where he was one of those uh, enhancement guys who could even get a headlock in, and then he ended up getting fired for for something, and then he comes back, and then and then he gets to actually shine a little bit, and it was it was cool. Um, you, know, you root for that. Yeah, it's almost. I, I honestly do find it surprising that he's not booking or being an agent somewhere right now. Well, he also like was trying to book uh, like an Aladdin character and an invisible wrestler character. I think. So but you're I trying to say that his sense of humor is 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 the thing, huh? I'm saying he's been given the opportunity, and he, I think he had a little bit too much fun, perhaps at times. Yeah, but you never know. If you let him run with those, I mean, you know, if you brought him into the to the E tomorrow, he'd probably put the straps on Brizango, and we could just watch watch the ratings soar and see what happened. He he's some. <laughs> takes all of the right things seriously in this business. And, um, you know, everything that's supposed to be taken seriously, he takes seriously. But 
all the things that are not necessary to take seriously, he doesn't, and he has fun with them. And there are a lot of people in this business uh, that are from his generation. They take all of it seriously to a degree where they are, you know, maybe come off as unfriendly or actually are unfriendly or they're unpleasant to be around. And I think those are the people who were probably threatened by his, I guess, sense of humor regarding that type of stuff. Maybe the fact that they take everything so seriously in wrestling, they're trying to project, um, you know, that, uh, this is this is how they take it this seriously. They want to be taken as seriously as they take it seriously. If that makes mm -hmm. sense, when you have a guy that comes around and just kind of makes fun of it. It's they internalize that, so now they have to ridicule him about his work rate and what he did or didn't do in the business. You know, it's just, well, how do you feel? Hey, Hold sorry. on a second. I I, I got to get Cross out of here shortly for his his yeah. reservation at Dorcia. So I got to ask him about Mav Pro. Are you going to be at Mav Pro this Saturday? Is Simon is Simon Grimm and you happening? Is that a thing? Uh, as far as I know, yes. Uh, I've had a lot of people. I'm glad you brought that up. I've had a ton of people over the last three weeks asking me if I'm going to be at Maverick Pro. There's been a lot of confusion about it. Um, to answer the questions, no, I'm not mad that I'm not on the poster. That's been a fucking frequent question. I don't get mad about stuff like that. I'm totally cool with it. Well, I think they um, just put the new guys on. There was a, there's a lot of re recurring talent that are not on this poster. It's really to showcase like, hey, you know who's already going to be here, and we've got these guys. Yes, and that is the smart thing to do. You, um, Yeah, everything is cool. I will be there this Saturday, and as far as I understand, it's going to be Simon Grimm and I. And if for whatever reason it's not, um, I will probably disrupt the entire show and injure many people and go to jail. Okay, so who do you have more heat with after the last time at Mav Pro? Is it Chris Bay? Is it Odie? Like, it, it, is it Keith? Like, things, things got, got heated, and you... To be fair, you kind of attempted murder on somebody with a chair. Um, so how how are you feeling about it right now? I mean, I was more asking if you were going to be there more about, like, are you going to be able to, to show up there and not get arrested? Or is is this something maybe you should reconsider not going just for your own safety and well-being? Oh, I'm going to go. That's 100% certain. I have a lot of friends in high places, so if I get in trouble, I'll be out fairly quickly. And um, that's number okay. one. Two, I'm not really sure who I'm more irritated and aggravated with at this point. Um, there's no blame on Keith Lee whatsoever at all. Um, Keith actually was innocent in the entire thing. I, I overreacted, which I tend to do uh, very often. He was totally justified in trying to powerbomb me through the boards of the ring, uh, which I think he did. And, um, yeah. Uh, and your ribs were still jacked up from the, the Willie Mack thing at WrestleCon then, right? Yeah, I had when I hit that canvas, it felt like my spine was injected into my into my chest cavity. That was pretty horrible. Um, but I wasn't going to miss that show. There was no one who was going to miss it. So, um, yeah, it was pretty horrible. The referee called a no contest when I wrapped the chair around Keith's head and pitched him into the post. In a triple threat match, there's not supposed to be DQs. So I was doubly furious about that i did not understand why the fuck he did that he just decided he lost control of the match and he just dismissed it so i was fucking pissed about that i think Odie's hair got a little ruffled he doesn't like matches to go too long after his hair gets messed up perhaps perhaps that, that has something to do with it um chris bay is now the new maverick pro heavyweight champion and um it's just a strange thing because i've been an advocate for him for an extended period of time and I've even gone so far as to say that this kid is uh, is going to be the future of the independent scene here in the West Coast. 
Um, however, when I said that, I was not referring to him being the future of the independent team in the West Coast at my expense. So now I'm going to have to elaborate a little bit further in the details of this. That future is never going to fucking happen while I'm still here. That future is really fucking far away. And if he attempts to pursue that before I tell him it's okay, he will get dive bombed on his head, which 100% is going to happen. I don't think he understands all the things that we've talked about in this episode about the things I've accomplished and the things that I've done and the people I've put away. Um, and the fact that he went about winning the title in the way that he did, which was cashing in a case after I had pretty much had the shit completely beat out of me and I was hurt. Um, there's going to be consequences for that real life consequences. And um, I don't know what he was thinking. If I was just going to be the guy that goes away. Well, I mean, to, to, to be fair, Mr. Cross, I did overhear you and him speaking probably a month and a half ago of you saying, you know, when you have opportunities, you, you take them, you know, and, and he's had the cash and carry for a while in Maverick pro now. And I mean, I think he was just being opportunistic, but I mean, wasn't that part of what you kind of have, have led him to believe is a smart option? Uh, absolutely. But I think that um, the better option for him would have been to have held on to that case for a couple years and maybe had a, a coffee with me one day. And, you know, just uh, we have, you know, we have some sort of conversation where he cashes in at the proper place and proper time, not jumping me at the end of the match. Um, however, he did it. And uh, he's really, really fucked up and failed in the sense that I'm still walking and I'm going to see him this Saturday. And I don't know if he thinks that everything's going to be completely okay um, when he sees me, because it's not. I know he has some other match that night, but I will be in the building. And whatever I choose to do at that particular time, um, you'll, you'll all see what will happen. Well, I'll, I'll be there as well. I'm interested to see what Katarina does with Rachel Ellering. I'm interested to see what you and Simon Grimm get into. And I am absolutely 130 million percent not going to step in between you and Chris Bay. I am cross cult all the way, but I'm, I'm here mm -hmm. for 2018 as well. And I am not choosing sides, damn it. That's, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. I have not I seen him. I haven't seen him since uh, that whole thing happened. So the first time I look into his face and I go eye to eye, nose to nose with him, you guys will see that. And it will happen Saturday. I will be getting in the ring with him one way or another, whether he wants it to happen or not. Well, I got a new gimbal for my phone. Maybe I can get some good footage of it. Um, okay, very last thing. Frank Mir, Fedor Emelianenko, what the fuck? Was that what you were expecting? No. Um, I was expecting Frank to get a submission on Fedor. Mm -hmm. I was not expecting Frank to run down the pike. I was not sure why he, you know, was jumping out of the boat and into the ocean with a shark. You've got everything you need in the boat. What the fuck are you doing? Like, I just, I don't understand that. That was, it's not like he can't box. It's not like he can't knock people out, but why on earth would you roll a dice? Like at, you had three to four months to prepare for that. And there's absolutely no way. There's no fucking way any coach on the planet would have encouraged him to do that. But I'm just saying, maybe that's, you know, he, he said something so silly just recently. And I'm not trying to be overcritical. I'm not a, I'm not a um, you know, like a living room couch quarterback, whatever the fuck that terminology is. I mean, mm -hmm. they're doing it, I'm not. But I'm just saying, he was saying, like, he, he blamed it on his ego. He was saying he let the ego get the best of him. It's like at that level in your life, in your career, I mean, come on, man. I, I had nothing to do with ego. That was like, 
I mean, are all of his losses, you know, to blame on his ego? Like, I don't understand. I don't understand that explanation. Like, I think just last minute he just thought he'd test the waters. And it's like, fuck, this is the wrong guy to test the waters with. Why Why on earth would you do that? So that's just my take on it. I, I am glad that Fedor won. I'm a Fedor fan. It's always broken my heart to see him lose. I grew up watching him and idolizing him and mimicking his, his patterns of my own practices and such. But, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't see it happening like that. There's no way. Did you? I, I, no, I did not. Um, though, you know, he gets Chael Sonnen in the bracket next. And Chael predicted this moment a long time ago. And it almost makes you feel like it is a work sometimes with Chael. You just, mm-hmm. you just don't really know. And, uh, and I don't know what to make of that fight now. Because that's the next one in the bracket for those guys. It's Chael versus Fedor, which I think will happen at the beginning of 2019 at this point. I don't know when the second round of this bracket is. But I think Chael might win that fight. I have no clue. I am calling this. Fedor is choking Chael Sonnen out in the first round. I, I think I really truly believe there's a 90% chance he's going to get his back. And there is a 10% chance that he's going to get an arm bar on him. I've seen Chael Sonnen get exploited by submission guys before on simple mistakes and you have to wonder you know chael's a really successful guy and i'm sure he's financially secure and something happens to all of them once they become financially secure they lose a certain type of edge and especially as he's getting older i'm not attacking him professionally or personally you know i'm just i'm just there's a general pattern that happens to all of these athletes within a certain window and it's happened to fedor we've seen it but if Fedor, if Fedor just comes in the way he came in against Mir, he's going to be fine in that fight. Unless Fedor comes in like out of his fucking mind, like no idea what he's doing, didn't train, had a mental breakdown. I don't see him losing that fight. However, everybody's got a shot in there. Chael Sonnen could 100% win. I'm not saying he's completely, you know, there's no shot. You know, remember the five rounds of Anderson? No one saw that coming. Yeah, I don't know, man. Something about it. I just like, I feel like if Chael just wraps up that left leg of Fedor's, it, he could, it could be a long night for Fedor. We'll see. We'll see. It's interesting. He might grind him out. Look at Henderson. Henderson has a very similar style to, to Chael Sonnen. He, Sonnen could, you know, uh, try to wrestle him up against the fence and dirty box him. It's entirely possible. But you see Fedor has been going back to Sambo quite a bit. So he's got all of his sweeps and everything there off the fence. I'm excited to see it. I'm going to buy it. I will. I'll, I'm going to buy that that fight. And I'm going to record it. I'm going to keep it. I'm I'm super pumped about it, regardless. Yeah, I, and I got to say, hats off, hats off to Scott Coker for somehow making this heavyweight tournament once again a thing. I mean, his last heavyweight tournament brought us Daniel Cormier. You know, <laughs> people forget that nobody knew who the fuck Daniel Cormier was until that that Strike Force heavyweight tournament, and all of a sudden, Daniel Cormier. It, you know, and now now Cormier is once again fighting for the heavyweight championship in UFC against my boy Cleveland Steve Stepe Miocic, um, which will be interesting because I I don't know how to call that. To keep in mind, DC has never lost a heavyweight fight. Yeah, me neither. I, I literally I have no idea what that's going to look like. That, but the both of them are going to beat the shit out of each other. That's a hundred percent. Yeah, I'm going to put my money on Stipe. I just got to support hometown, but I, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm real confident with that bet. <laughs> yeah, well, Stipe can wrestle and he hits like a truck. So, um, yeah, it'll be cool. It'll be a really cool fight to see. Well, we got to get you out of here, sir, but uh, tell all of our friends over at Dorsey that we said hi. Please don't crank the Huey and the Lewis in the news too loud in the car on the way there. And uh, I have new business cards coming. I will make sure to get you one. They are not printed in Silly and Rail. Um, 
<laughs> and with that, thank you for spending an evening with a killer. Killer Cross, everybody. Look for him everywhere. I mean, I think 2018, um, you can drop any plugs you want, sir, but uh, I think 2018, we're going to see a whole lot of you to the point where you almost don't have to plug much anymore. That would be awesome. I've been working for that for an extended period of time, and all I'm going to tell you guys is that uh, we are about to turn a very fascinating corner, and I'm not working anybody. I'm telling you the truth. There's some big things coming in the immediate future, so keep an eye on your televisions and your news feeds of pro wrestling because I've got a lot of big surprises coming up, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to surpass everything that I've done over the last four years. I'm very pumped about it. Well, I hope that you are working your way out of the underground and having a big impact on things without making people too mad. Absolutely. I can guarantee you that. All right, sir. Thank you very much for joining us. Appreciate you. And anytime, as I've said in the past, anytime you want to stop by, you are more than welcome because I like my limbs where they are. Mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And uh, I guarantee you I will. I shall return. Oh, and uh, Casey wanted me to ask you the uh, top five Sid moments of all time. But since we're out of time, I guess we'll just get to it later. Oh, wait a minute. Top five <laughs> Sid moments? <laughs> yeah, top oh, five awesome. Sid moments. Can you think of five that are <laughs> better than the, <laughs> the rest? Uh, Sid choke slamming people out of the ring through tables. Yes. Uh, w. If you've ever wondered where I got that from, look no further. At where? Uh, Sid. Uh, ECW Sid was power bombing people out of the ring tables onto the floor. That's number one. Number two, I would have to say the time Sid uh, completely botched his power bomb on Shawn Michaels, he just recklessly threw him up in the air, and Michaels landed really awkwardly in the ring, and he picked him up and power bombed him again. That was fantastic. Number three, I would have to say. Uh, when Sid won the WCW World Heavyweight Championship after 2000, I think. thought that was fantastic. When he uh, beat Benoit? Yes. His foot was under the ropes. Oh, stop it. We're not talking about that ever. We're Byron is still a Benoit fan. No, that was a, he's, a, he's a bad guy. That was, well, that was an optical illusion. Hmm. Number four would be when Sid walked out to compete against Shawn Michaels and the crowd was cheering for him rather than booing him, the crowd was completely with him and they didn't want that at the time. I thought that was amazing. Uh, number five would be when Sid told Mean Gene Oakland to shut up and he called him a, a fat, bald-headed little oaf. <laughs> that was fucking amazing. <laughs> That was the best. Any Sid promo in the 90s, really. You can just jot that in number five. That's perfect. I, I have to say, the uh, the Sid doing the uh, second rope boot and breaking the knee oh. forever be imprinted in the back of my mind as one of those. Like, every time I jump off of something, I think about that moment. Like, yeah. I could never be a professional wrestler now because of that. I will that I mean that's not really a positive top five Sid moment, but it's the one that's so ingrained in my head. I'll never forget it. It's a point five somewhere in there. Oh. <laughs> oh God. Anyway, thank you so much for doing this, sir. We appreciate your time. Uh I will see you in a couple of days. Obviously, Meefloaf is in England and Byron's in Florida, so they probably yeah. will not. I'll see if I can drag Jim and Casey with me. 
um, for a little Cinco de Mayo festivities over at the Moose Lodge in Burbank for Maverick Pro. Absolutely. Me, in the words of Michael Keaton, I want you to tell all your friends about me. I'm coming to the UK this year at some I, point. I keep trying. I keep trying. Well, Some just, of the bitches are scared. They're I'm going to tell you, scared, no, pussies. I'm going to find my way there because I know that they know who I am because I met a lot of them in New Orleans and they all knew who I was. They came and introduced themselves to me. So awesome. The victims are preparing themselves. So that's all I'll say about that. I think somebody's got to get you over in Japan at some point in the near future too. That's oh, just yeah. got to happen. I'm I'm in negotiations with that right now. I just didn't want to bring it up. So hopefully in the next couple of months, I will be able to. Uh, <laughs> I'll be able to relay that. I will be going somewhere very reputable in Japan in the uh, in the immediate future. I like this. I like this. As more and more people start to understand uh, what Killer Cross is bringing to the table, I don't think it's going to be hard for you to get those type of engagements should you desire them. That's it. Like I said, this year we're going to be turning a big corner, so... I mean, by, by next year, you're going to be like, fuck, I need to change my phone number. <laughs> I'm tired of all these people calling and trying to book me. It's going to be the complete opposite story of everything leading up to now. It's already starting. You have to contact me via radio. I'm going to move into a fucking cave. <laughs> I mean, you know, every time your phone rings on a Sunday night, you're not going to be able to pick it up and say yes. Eventually, you're going to have to say no. And that's going to be a weird moment for you, my friend. Yeah. Well, just so you know as well, just to be clear, if you do come by Dorcia and they don't know who you are, what you're talking about, just say no. Done. <laughs> Thanks so much. Appreciate you. Again, open invitation. Thank you. Anytime, my friend. Absolutely. Thank you for having me, guys. Take it easy. Cheers. Have a good one. Byron coughing in the microphone when he's talking about going to Japan. You almost blew it. I was muting it every single time. Well, there's a lot to unpack there to the point where I, I don't even know what to make of uh, some of that. I don't I think, know what you were talking about. I mean, I just think, I think, uh, I think Mr. Cross has turned a corner in general. The, the whole mad thing in AAA, I think is uh been a, empowering moment for him. Mm -hmm. I think the next level. I think it's going to be a fun next couple of months for him. I mean, in wrestling in general, I mean, if you mm -hmm. think about what's gone down in the past couple of weeks, uh, you know, what are the big things in wrestling the past couple of weeks? Penta winning the belt. Yeah. Titus, Titus sliding underneath the ring. Which is hilarious. That's the biggest moment from that. And they're trying so hard to make it be, did Brock a Roman win? But then Brock's not even on the freaking Raw or whatever. Like, how do you push an angle when your star, that's part of the angle, is not even there? I don't even know what happened in that match, but I know Titus was under the ring. Exactly. That's the GIF. That's the moment that everyone knows about. You've got, you know, GIFs of the week. Pentagon holding up the belt. Um, Titus falling underneath the ring. And Cross, Teddy, and Hoovy pulling off those burlap sacks and being revealed as mad at AAA. Those are your top three moments in all of wrestling this week. And I'm talking between Japan, America, WWE, Indies, everything. Those are your top three moments in wrestling that everyone's talking about right now. That's crazy. That's yeah. crazy. And here you, you've got this guy, Kevin Cross, who's standing with... Teddy Hart, you know, who's the 
what what is his moniker the the last trained uh, heart dungeon whatever i mean it's a work but you know Stu, yeah. Stu's Stu's grandkid he's he's in the family he's he's a legendary heart and Juventud Guerrera who is world renowned as Hoobie one juice. of who who be the juice um world renowned for being one of the people that brought lucha libre to the worldwide stage along with Rey Mysterio and Psychosis, in, in my opinion, I think those were the guys that, mm-hmm. you know, took it outside of Mexico. Given there's a lot of great, great performers in Mexico that everyone had their eyes on, but of guys that brought it physically here and put it on TV. Yeah. Well, who this- also when he lost the mask. Yeah. The look. Absolutely. I, mean- mom, I was watching wrestling with my mom. My mom was like, oh, well, as soon as he came sliding down Whoa. through the ropes and went, across the ring she yeah she was very excited well i mean i think that's part of the reason why poor ray had to lose his later because it was like oh ray's a handsome guy too let's take his mask that's not get carried away (laughs) i mean he looked like he was 12 years old up until like a month ago okay well but do you think okay first question hoovy do you think hoovy got more rats before or after the mask uh, probably after he looked, I mean, he looked like he should be on like the, what, like the tiger beat magazine. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, yeah, now who do you think got more? But did, now do you think Ray got more before or after the mask? Oh, before you think, when, <laughs> you think when, when he took the mask off, the girls were like, uh, I might need to card you. Wasn't he married by then? Uh, probably. Yeah. I think he was married like really young, wasn't he? Like sixteen. Oh my god, maybe. That's true. I don't know. Ray still looks young, man. He's got like gray hairs in his beard, and he still <laughs> looks younger than me. And I think he's actually a year older. Uh-huh. But he's also not that old. It's which is amazing because he's been doing this shit for like twenty six some odd years. Yeah, he wasn't even. Yeah, he was barely driving a car when he was did doing he, did he fourteen or something. Yeah, I mean. You know, it's, it's it's since I've been an adult, Ray, who is like the same age as me, has been a professional wrestler and was already a professional wrestler when I was actually legally allowed to vote. <laughs> it's pretty been frightening. Yeah, I mean, pretty much since you were born, Meef. Yeah. Like, weren't, weren't you born in what? Yeah. Like, where were you born? You were born in the 90s, weren't you? Oh, 87. Thank God. 87. Yeah. yeah. Thank God. But it is good TV. It is really cool to cross this point earlier about how Lucha Libre seems to be infiltrating um, more and more wrestling. I, I think it's doing what it's doing in WWE, but everywhere else, there's more and more of it. You have AAA with Lucha Underground, which is kind of like a glorified American indie promotion. But all those guys are like, now they're showing up at Impact. I mean, there was that six man tonight, <coughs> and yeah. you know, rings everywhere. But now you have like Hoovies with the Hearts doing stuff, and that's big news. And who knows if they go elsewhere? I mean, they're taking well, over the rest. And, and here's the thing, too. At, at Impact tonight, um, you had let's see, it was Cuerno, Drago, and Aerostar versus mm-hmm. DJZ, Everett, and Desmond Xavier. Um, mm-hmm. Great match! Great match! And you see matches like that and you realize part of the purpose is that it's for guys like DJ Z 
to show off what they can do with real luchadors. Uh-huh. It, you know, and Everett. Oh my God. I saw that dude work cage uh, at Maverick Pro a few weeks back. And that was great, but I thought he was amazing uh, at Impact tonight for a guy that isn't necessarily somebody that a lot of people know about. You know, mm-hmm. so keep keep your eyes on those kids. And it was uh, awesome that Aerostar and Drago and Cuerno, you know, put those guys over tonight. Um, and I think that it really just made them stronger. Now, do I like that they were booked that way? No, I'd love to see. I'd love to see the triple A faction. I can't call them the Lucha Underground faction because it was Phantasma with yeah. uh, Aerostar and Drago. Um, they're triple A guys. Yeah, they're, they're all triple A guys. Um, even though Drago and, and uh, Aerostar are being billed uh, from Lucha Underground, which is still strange, but I love it. Um, it's like they're playing, they're playing uh, cards with like, they're trading. Okay, triple A, you can have Phantasma. But I want Drago. Well, but it's also weird. It's like they should be there under their AAA gimmicks because currently in the storyline for Lucha Underground, um, they're mm-hmm. at odds, I believe, right? Uh, Drago and and yeah. has hooked up with the Snakes and the Super Friends are not a thing right now. And it's weird. Yeah. What were you going to say, Meef? Oh, no, I was just saying about the whole, um, like you were saying, about... The Lucha Libre influence and like using it as a bar. So you use like, you know, Drago, self explanatory, Aerostar is world renowned now for being one of the top like rope and dive guys. So you put your guys up against them. Okay, we, we don't like to see them lose or not go over, but if, you, if you're a company bringing them in, you can at least use them as a bar. And then if they're not, you know, because you, know, you never know when they're not going to be there next week. Right. Well, it's also like when Kraus was in FSW and they, he was bringing in guys like he brought in Mundo and he'd bring in other big guys, Eli Drake, to because he wanted main eventers to wrestle with and bring them in. It's the God, same thing. I love you know? Eli Drake in FSW that night we were there. It's just like it was so good. It was so good. I mean, I knew a little bit of Eli Drake before that, but not a lot, honestly. And the fact that he just walked out there, took the stage and created a hot angle at a promotion he was working in just for one night. Mm-hmm. I mean, I hope all the other indies are paying attention to stuff like that. If you bring in a guy, like see if he'll do some stick time in the first half of the show. See if he'll set up an angle. See if you can get him in a little something, even with a guy he's not wrestling, just to create some intrigue and interest. It's like, and then people are going to want to fill those seats for the next show just to try to get that big name guy to come back. Uh, I, I mean, and, and Math Pro's been doing some of this stuff, too, where they have angles and they're working stuff going like that, and bar wrestling does it a little bit, too. I just, like, I, something about what Eli Drake did was so genius that night. And there was other big names around and other people popping in, like Bubba Ray came in that night, yeah. and Disco worked a little angle, and, um, you know, Mundo and Taya were there, like, um Strickland was there. Like a lot of people were there. Sammy Callahan was there. Uh, mm-hmm. Shit, Matt Hardy was there that night. Yeah, this was right Matt at the Hardy end of the broken uh, gimmick. I mean, broken got broken up a couple of weeks after that, right? And they went back to WWE. Uh, I think he had a little bit. Oh no, 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 no. 
That was close. close that was close it. because he went back at the, what WrestleMania, right? And there was Ring of Honor the night before. Yeah. It was like we saw him at FSW. He did the Ring of Honor thing the next day or something or had done it that weekend. FSW might have even been the last one. Wasn't FSW right after the Ring of Honor thing? It doesn't matter. It was tremendous that he was there. We saw him in full broken gimmick form before he went back to WWE, which was, it was cool. a different weekend. He was doing Ring of Honor. They had a big Ring of Honor night the night before. Right. <laughs> but um, but the WrestleMania weekend was another one. Okay. Anyway, it was tremendous to steal a, a term from another podcast. Um, but yeah, I just just talking about Eli Drake. Like Eli Drake that night was great. Um, tonight he challenged Penta for the belt next week. He's ca- uh, cashing in his case, something which our friend Cross never got to do. Um, tick tock, tick tock. Those things run out. Use them. Which is why I hope he's not too mad at his boy fucking Bay for cashing his in uh, on on him. Like, dude, what do you yeah. what do you do? Don't hate the player, hate the game. Am I right? I mean, it's that's a tough position. What were we saying, Meef? I said everybody hates Triple H. <laughs> I said hate the game. <laughs> Don't hate the player. Hate the game and the player. That's a Booker T. Vince Russo catchphrase. WCW. You know it. Baby. Um, Sucker. <laughs> I love Booker T. I miss Booker T. Is there oh, any way? Yeah. Is there any way that, that he can replace that other guy from ESPN all the time? You and I were arguing and you were pro coach. And I was like, coach is a dry piece of toast. I know, but I had not really remembered why exactly I liked Booker T so much. And now I remember, like, I don't mind coach. Okay, no, let me rephrase that. I don't mind how coach is working his current angle. I like that he's coming in from a little more outside and a little less company man than he used to be. And I'm not just talking about character wise. I think that he really was a company man before and just kind of taking what he was being fed. And I think now he's having a lot of input into what he's saying. I think that he's taking different angles. I think him and Corey are not just, uh, you know, one, one minute, he might be rooting for the heel. The next minute, it might be Corey. Like, they kind of switch off who's going for what gimmick and what they like. Like, Corey totally gets the Woken gimmick. He, yeah. He's behind it. He understands it. He sells it better than the other guys. And I think it's funny when he does that, and then you have um, Coach sitting over on the side like, Jesus Christ, really? Again, you with this Woken thing? It's good. Like, I like that dynamic. However, <laughs> when Booker T is doing his color commentary mid-match <laughs> it's phenomenal a when he fucks up storylines is hilarious I mean, maybe the people in the back don't like it but it's great and when Corey corrects him equally great and when booker yeah. is talking about people's move sets that is something <laughs> that none of them do Corey yeah. didn't wrestle long enough to really get other people's gimmicks that way he just didn't. Coach obviously didn't. Cole certainly didn't. Not having Booker there really, to me, changes that dynamic of what you really get from a different character's moveset. 
and I miss that in general with WWE wrestling. Um, I feel like they get it okay on NXT because they have to put over those move sets because they're creating them at the same time. But well, you have a different announcer. You have a guy who's used to calling competitive sports and ca- and calling moves or like celebrating the the um, personality of the moves in in Bernalo. He goes fucking nuts if a camera's on him now. Um, oh, yeah. I I love Booker. I think he, I love it when he goes nuts. I just I just love the moments when he will start a match and he's against something, and then like by the end of a sentence, he's completely flip flopped and he doesn't know where he is. And Corey Grace has he just can't hold it in. He goes, Booker, you're out of your fucking mind. Like, you know, it's <laughs> a great dynamic, and it's. A- Go ahead, me. What were you saying? I, uh, Corey Graves, when he was early starting, especially I think NXT, but um, oh my god, like when he starts giving Byron shit, it's so good. It's just like I watch most of it now just to hear him, and especially like when the Royal Rumble, the Royal Rumble when he lost his shit over Titus, and you can you can hear him just like trying not to die with laughter, and he's just like, I'm trying to work. It's amazing, but his commentary work is like just gone like up like a thousand levels yeah but i mean and, and that's the main reason why i don't even mind byron at this point byron saxon that is because what he's so awful that it just yeah. gives Corey something to work with <laughs> yeah. you know but then but when you have coach on the other broadcast coach is credible enough he's been with wwe a lot longer in the grand scheme of things, even though he left and did his ESPN thing, that he's got that seniority that Corey can't do that with him. And he's never going to be able to have that same kind of shut the fuck up dynamic that he has with Byron. Um, and I just like saying that people have that dynamic with Byron. Uh, it's very traumatizing watching the shows when Saxton... Yeah, try there. try but, going to a wrestling of show where Justin Borden is one of the referees. <laughs> fuck you, Justin. That's all I hear. All I'm hearing is, and I'm sitting in the front row typically, and there's always people behind me yelling, fuck you, Justin. I'm like, what the fuck did I do? What did I, why are you on me? I didn't do anything. Eat shit, Justin. Sons of bitches. Okay. So I'm going to read, I'm going to read this note (laughs) verbatim, and you guys tell me what you think. I wrote down when I was watching Raw. So Roman, Roman did get screwed, and they acknowledged that, but we're just going to move on to his 20 other feuds. What the fuck? What what what? Oh. I don't yeah, even understand why they make it a part of the storyline. Like, why didn't they just hold it? Why didn't they just hold it till next week? They I make think a point out of it, and then they just drop it immediately. And everyone else wants to fight Roman Reigns, who yeah, doesn't even be. have the belt. They should, yeah, they should I have, mean, like killed Brock Lesnar. They might have. I I mean, a plan might have partially been that. Roman has the belt at this point and they change match results, but they still have the storylines afterwards. They still have what 10 other people are doing afterwards. You know, like I think it makes sense where if Roman is over, there's just, you can't deny that he is one of the most over guys there. He's just, we perceive WWE as wanting him to be a face and he gets booze, but maybe he gets, what WWE wants them to get because they took him to Mon- they, Montreal, right? Everyone booed him, and then they threw him against three Canadians who were all who were getting cheers. Like Jinder got cheered, I think, for a moment over that over him. 
Well, yeah, they were in Montreal. It was supposed <laughs> yeah. to be that way. I think WWE has finally accepted that the face and heel roles can switch in Canada, especially when you have Canadian heels come out. And you just let them play, you know, the heel face gimmick for a day. Which was fine. I, I actually liked that. Yeah. I, I got over. I love that they, they also used it with the uh, the two jobbers <laughs> in the back. <laughs> oh, they were great. Because you knew they were going to get squashed by AOP. And uh, and AOP cut a promo without Ellering. Wow. Who, th- who thunk? I didn't think that was going to come this soon. They're great because they're uh, at least bilingual. So they just start yelling stuff like how uh, Rusev used to yell bulgarian language you just go with it i I, which is awesome and i didn't i didn't dislike it at all i was very surprised that uh that they let them do that already but it's good they need to see if they can do that and and what better place than a hot canadian crowd where they're squashing two canadian jobbers i think that was the perfect time for that whole bit it was that was actually good booking on wwe's part though it was only five and a half minutes of the show and the only wrestling, I think in the first 45 minutes of the entire program, just craziness. Oh God. Raw is a lot better. Like if you find something else to do, like if you're like, I want to work out for a minute, but I'm watching raw. I think you're like, okay, I'm going to go work out really quick. Like for me, I have a gym in my hallway, but maybe you just go into the other room and grab a couple hand weights and you get a sweat that's literally that's literally what i did while i was watching raw today yeah did you not? i got out the bands i was kind of half tuned in half tuned out like i liked uh the miz taraja segment where they were trying to look for partners again the four horsemen thing was this is a the best use of those guys that they could have ever come up with they should do this with everyone on the roster they should go through the entire roster trying to form a faction with them even like dana brooke i don't care they should like (laughs) they should seriously do this like they they should run to the ring and fall and slide under it next week and then try to join titus's faction like they should just keep this going that was probably one of the best things on the whole show by the way like the, the the women's match oh God, I can't believe I predicted this. I'm so mad at myself. The whole Ronda Natty thing. What gonna be... I... What? I I wa- I was in and out. Did did she turn on? Natty? No, no, not yet. God, are you kidding me? No, that won't happen till either right before SummerSlam or some other big show. That's going to be Ronda's next big match. I guarantee it. Maybe yeah. they probably have a, a a tag match before that with Nat- Natty. Or something. I mean, right now they're they're setting up um, Naya, Natty, and Ronda as the big faces on WWE. Yeah. But you obviously know that the the only way this angle could be good and work, in my opinion, is if Ronda turns on Natty and ends up hooking up with Alexa Bliss. Ooh, which that- you? That's who you should put Rhonda with. Rhonda and Alexa should be a stable together. It maybe even leave Mickey James in it. But let them run roughshod over the, everyone. The dirt sheets at the minute running the story about how WWE is now panicking and they think they've put Ronda on TV too much. They have. It's yeah. so far she's one note. She 
stands there and you run away. But that's why they have to do something with her. It's like, I don't necessarily think a heel turn is in order, but I think that putting her with the right people in the right storylines is what would make yeah. her exciting. If you have her standing next to Alexa Bliss with Alexa cutting promos and Ronda being kind of the enforcer and, and maybe even secretly pulling the strings, you've got yeah. something and you've got something you can put on TV every week. Right but now, I, yeah. Natty and Ronda is it, with Nia Jax. You have a whole face contingent where the best person on the stick is Natty. Well, what yeah. the fuck are you going to do with that? That's not television. That's a three hour damn show. Yeah. Well, I think she obviously she can learn from Natty and that there's that reasoning. But I also think like on another level that that uh, um, you didn't sign Rhonda to be, you know, Diesel HBK's bodyguard, his heater. You you signed her to be. You know Kevin Nash, leader of the NWO. So you kind of yeah, yeah. But you let Alexa, her. you let Alexa talk Ronda into those situations. Yeah, but that's that's kind of what they're doing right now with with Natty. With she's a veteran, so it's like big picture. They're trying to get her comfortable with doing full on segments, not just having someone be able to cut a promo next to her because Natty can teach her all sorts of stuff. It's just not that compelling because when you look at it and you have. Two people who fight. One of them is Ronda Rousey, and the other one is the blonde one who you've never seen fight, right? Yeah. And right now, Ronda is the the you know the blonde friend, whatever, who goes to PWG shows, and Natty is the Ronda one that does all the fights, right? And, like, that, and that's part of the problem. And and the thing is, realistically, look, I like Natty. I understand what she means to that locker room. I understand who she is. She's a heart, and I get it. And she's a real one. But at the same time, you can't be unrealistic in the fact that she has never gotten over besides low mid-card. Look, she's over in WWE. People know who she is. People do care a little bit, but she's never gotten past low mid-card status. Never. Yeah. Charlotte's above her. Bailey's above her. Sasha's above her. Becky Lynch is above her. And Alexa Bliss is miles above all of them. And she but just does not compete on that level and how the fuck is she going to be the one to give Ronda the rub that's going to make Ronda work on TV every week? It's not possible. But I think she's in that part of her career where she's putting people over. And I think it would be very valuable for them to do a house show run together. Absolutely. But yeah, as far as like, uh, she's kind of like the Dolph Ziggler um, of the division where you want someone to come in, have, some, have them go against someone who's good at what they're doing, and then that other person goes over. You know, Natty doesn't really hurt. You know, you're not – she's always going to lose. Um, it just well, look, makes sense. It's got to gonna... be a slow time for them. They they, they need a couple pay-per-view cycles to, to build the, the angle, and it yeah. sucks because at this point, they have to keep her out there every week, and they are going to lose some of their steam. But I think they really need to reconsider at this point what they do for SummerSlam. It's a big moment, mm -hmm. and if you really think about it, your choices aren't great. You, you either have Ronda... Your, your choices are this. You have Ronda flip or Natty flip, and you do the Natty-Ronda thing, which I think is where they're headed right now. Yeah, or but you do the cliche thing storyline-wise, and you keep building, and you have Ronda versus Mickey or Ronda versus Alexis. Which is whatever. Alexa Bliss versus Ronda. 
I don't think should ever happen because I just no. think I think it ends too fast and you don't get anything out of it. Um, and so well, the only other division with two hundred of the Giants now. You yeah, know what I mean, I think the only way out of it is you got to put Ronda with somebody else. She cannot be with Nia Jackson and Natalia. I think you need to flip the script and you need to put her with Alexa Bliss and, and Mickey James. Though, I think on the road to getting there, having Ronda work Mickey a few times is the way to go. She needs to start working Mickey now as they're finding their way out of this angle in the tag matches and then um, maybe a blow off with her and Mickey and then somehow flip Ronda to their side. Even if it pushes that whole side face, who cares? They got to do it. Mickey is more probably more current and more compelling than Natty. Um, I, I mean, I think they're both great, but I think that Mickey is a lot more fresh, way more fresh as an on-screen character because, you know, she had the time off and also she isn't always wrestling. She's doing other roles too. But I think she's doing that sort of mentor partnership with Alexa Bliss. You know, well, like she's already taken up. They, they, they have a certain shelf life. I mean, by the time Ronda comes out of SummerSlam, they have to be able to start looking at what the other programs for her in the future are. Is it Bailey? Is it Sasha? Is it Becky Lynch? Is it Carmella? Like what, where does Rhonda go after the women that she's with right now? There has to be a program future for her because there is still money in her and they can still salvage it. But the real money's probably in her and Charlotte or her and Sasha, you know, I don't know. I think the real money with Ronda is still above the division. Like it, her going to the women's division is a step down from her first match. But not if it's not if it's Charlotte Flair. You can okay. do Charlotte. You can do Charlotte and Ronda at WrestleMania easily, and that's a huge match. But you have to get her there. You have to get her a year's worth of experience that means something and storylines that make it make sense that she's in there with Charlotte Flair where it's now the two baddest women on the planet fighting and everyone believes it. Uh, I'm not a Charlotte. I'm not into Charlotte Flair, but I also, I mean, I, but she's in that position to make sense that way. But f- to me, I am very skeptical of running uh, Ronda against a figure four. You know what I mean? Like a wrestling submission. I get it, but that's that's the whole reason why they've got what eleven months to build the uh, twelve, the uh, ten months to build Ronda into something that you can sell that with. I mean, you gotta gotta sell T-shirts. What's that? I was gonna say they'll push, but the the one thing that concerns me is is Ronda Rousey Goldberg in terms of you know going through people annihilating them, or is she Bailey, the hapless? Happy to be there. I'm because a- at the minute it's it's up and down. It's fifty fifty. I think she does all right. She doesn't that. have much personality. She doesn't have any personality. I, I really don't know who she, she is. is. Well, but the yeah, thing is, we we, have we do know who Ronda is. We know who the real Ronda is. We had the real Ronda for a long time, and honestly her in real life is a lot closer to Roddy Piper than people think. She's a hothead. She's overly emotional. Um, She can be a heel at times, or she can be a face at times. They really should 
let her really run with the hot rod gimmick. But the thing that she isn't that hot rod was is a good talker. <laughs> so I don't know how you quite get there, but she's, she's very much always been in real life, a tweener. You know, when she was in those judo competitions, people did not know whether to love her or hate her. She was fucking vicious. She was super mean. And then after her matches, she was like the friendliest person and the nicest martial artist in the whole building. Nobody knew how to take her even back then. Nobody knew how to take her when she was working on Ultimate Fighter. I know a lot of guys who work on Ultimate Fighter. Mm -hmm. Nobody knew how to take her. She was a sweetheart. She was super vicious. Sometimes she was funny. Sometimes she was mean. She was hot and cold. Like, that's just how she runs. They got to do that with her in WWE. The like, which Ronda are you going to get? People will want to watch that. And I think to do that, you have to put her with somebody like Alexa who can work the mic and work it ironically to the point where Alexa doesn't know what she's going to get. Fucking Natty can't do that. You know, you know, you know, we talked about this right before the mat, the WrestleMania, and this is really the best option for her because it's just the, it's the obvious answer. You got to put Paul Heyman with her and she, she, her Pete, her, uh, what she's signed to be in her her uh, potential is the Brock Lesnar of the of the newly empowered women's division. You know what I mean? I, I don't doubt that. I mean, the thing. Yeah, but the thing with Lesnar. And and Heyman, why it works so good is because you saw Lesnar run wild on the WWE unchecked for a while. And I yeah. think Ronda's got to have some of that first. So that yeah. then Heyman can be explaining what happens when you let Ronda off the leash. It's like we don't, we need her to be Pentagon. She needs to get. I mean, she's good from what we saw. Like she fucking ran the ropes. Like that guy couldn't believe. Yeah, but that's just that's need to let her go in there and do crazy shit. Like have her all of a sudden snap during a promo and break the ring announcer's arm. But that gets back to why. Why her her new friend for whatever reason Natalia Neidhart is wrestling matches instead of the new expensive talent that you sign that everyone actually is paying attention to, like if you're if this is supposed to be a real company putting on um, competitive matches for entertainment, you're putting on the ugly stepsister instead of the one everyone wants to go out with. And there's a way to do that. There's a way to do that. I'm saying you have her come to the ring. You start setting something up. Everyone feels like they're going to get a match. And then all of a sudden, somebody does something to Ronda, and she snaps. She loses it. She tries to break somebody, so they have to hold her back. Well, they should be doing that. If you keep doing that and building those moments, then you put her in a tag match. And the whole thing is to see if she can get through a tag match without snapping and losing her shit and breaking the, the ring bell guy or breaking... Corey Graves in half or whatever. Like you she just have to have her go nuts for a while. She should straight up You have them like her killing people, like you said, breaking people, losing shit. Uh-huh. Or like in a match, like she falls and she loses her shit with the person, starts losing it, and then the person rolls her up. So she loses because she lost her emotions and her thing. She still kills them after the match, don't get me wrong. Absolutely. That's why Heyman steps in. He's going to refine you because you let him, I need to coach you and, you know what I mean, and use that as a storyline, not just he randomly picks her up. Yeah, but I mean, I think you can get a full, I think you can get a full year out of, like, <laughs> oh, yeah. 
haywire Rhonda with protecting yeah. her, keeping her, her healthy in storylines, keeping her healthy in matches, still seeing her in the ring and using her as a talent and moving merchandise. And just you can still keep her face or heel, however you want to play it. But if you do that the right way and you do the is Rhonda going to snap every time thing, I think that you really can get longevity out of it. Yeah, I hate to do this, guys, but it's midnight and I. Um, oh, no, it's it's totally time. Um, so I got to say the strangest things that I never thought I'd be saying on this show. My yeah. final thoughts are I'm actually enjoying impact. Me too. I have questions for you about that, actually. I okay. took a couple notes. I have a couple things. Can I have like a 30-second? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I was, uh, let me just finish my thought. Is I'm actually enjoying Impact, and holy shit, I've watched that last AAA three times. That is not something that has happened in the last five years. I, I haven't watched... Tell I, us. What's that? I said you're going on somewhere. Sorry, yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree with Meef. By the okay. way, whatever it was there's he said, there's a shift happening in what's going on in those companies. There's a shift happening everywhere. I mean, it, like MLW wasn't half bad. You heard me on this show last year, Barry and Court Bauer. I got yeah. no, I got nothing against the guy now. I love what he's doing. I love what he's saying. I love how he's approaching it. This, I mean, these things are crazy right now. I think there's a certain group of grouping of talent that is coming up and being featured. I mean, like you have a guy like cross who is in MLW and, and, uh, Oh man, house of hardcore. Uh, and a lot of guys are going to bar and all of a sudden those shows are on the map. And then you have, you know, impact and triple a all of a sudden, you know, Conan is back with a whole bunch of fresh, uh, you know, faces that we all like. And it, I think it, a lot of it has to do with the talent that is now being featured. And well, it's the talent that's making these territories. You gotta, you gotta look at too where a lot of these guys came through and where a lot of them hooked up and connected in the locker room that everyone wanted to emulate. It was Lucha Underground from season two. Yeah. You know, and actually, I would say even the end of season one. I mean, and Conan yeah. was there then. A lot of these guys were there. Penta was there then and starting to get over. And and it continued. And everyone who walked into that locker room back then, and Cross included, just felt different about wrestling in general. It revived a lot of people. It brought me back to the point now where I can even sit down and watch you know, some small indie from across the country. It used to be like I would just watch some random CZW stuff a little bit of impact, maybe an occasional New Japan or Ring of Honor. That was it. You know, yeah. I had stopped watching AAA. I'd stopped watching WWE. Um, and this is pre-Lucha Underground. And then once Lucha Underground came back, like I went and caught up on a bunch of AAA stuff and I was interested in CMLL. And then I started watching New Japan regularly and I started watching WWE again. I mean, I had literally not watched any minute of WWE programming for like two or three years at that point in time. Not even WrestleMania's. I was so over it. Um, but now there's some, there is something in the air. All right. So what were you going to say, Byron? What was your impact question? Okay. So impact, uh, I'm loving Austin Aries and everything he's doing. I'm loving his DDP yoga reference. And he even did like attention at ease, like even in the DDP, uh, voice, it's just, it's incredible. Like you can't, it takes you a while to do DDP yoga without laughing. You know what I mean? 
uh also yeah the impact crowd still is just so insanely quiet that they they cannot be miked um they are it's the um i I love i love though like the opening segment i love their cinematic backstage stuff and that's not a lucha underground thing that's like back when bischoff and jason her it's a wcw style is it I will, yeah, once well, those guys are like, even when Hogan came, like they would, they had their uh, uh, TNA Asylum in Nashville and they had their sets built into the, the place. Like they had, they had a whole like movie studio thing going on. I even saw um, one scene or backstage segment where Jeff Jarrett was wearing a love with a wind protector under a tight shirt, which was right. dumb. I don't know what wind. I guess Hogan was in the scene, so there's a lot of hot wind blowing. <laughs> a lot through. of hot air. <laughs> I mean, but, I don't know. There's still something. There's still something a little off about the TNA or sorry Impact presentation to me. But at the yeah. same time, I don't know that it's entirely repairable within the confines of how they're going to be able to do TV. You know, they have these three or four day tapings, um, studio tapings. Um, they have to intertwine the backstage angles with the front a little bit better, I think. But I yeah. like the thing where like Austin Aries sat everyone down in the bleachers. Um, that was great. Yeah. I also the way that their room is set up. Like if you think about the way the Lucha Underground Temple is set up compared to the the Impact Zone, um, I think it's a more conducive show to having a, a hot audience. I think that impact is set up too much as a TV stage. And those people are just sitting back there as, as props. And I don't think they're, um, I don't think they're the kind of hardcore loyal fans that you get at a Lucha underground or that you get at some of these other shows. But that's also why I think impact, uh, gets those good crowds when they go on the road for pay-per-views and these events up in Canada or other places. I think they almost get hotter crowds when they're not on their home stage. Yeah, <laughs> I, they definitely ran into that when they were in, in Nashville the whole time. And I think, you know, they've just kind of burned out their crowd. Uh, they're not special. And NXT, I think, has done a really good job of avoiding that. But also, when you look at their uh, takeover shows versus, and I know you're doing arenas versus the full sale room, but. I mean, NXT weeklies are not that hot. You know what, though? I mean, NXT is still... It's a tighter room. They darken out the room better, I think. I, going with a lower lighting scheme on the the crowd, I think, is smart. Yeah. Which is also something that Lucha Underground does uh, on purpose. Um, Lucha Underground also has these... Everything's made out of wood. And... Yeah. It deadens the sound more. It tightens things up. You don't get that weird open reverberation thing. It's also not on a soundstage, so the roofs are are different. Um, and I just think that there's something to be said for that. I, I think the wall of people is built the wrong way on their actual soundstage because I think they were trying to emulate more when they came up with that idea of the WCW arena. Um, and the way that they would set up for live shows in big arenas, but um, I don't know. Yeah. So I have another question. Yeah. What's going on with that world belt again? Like I'm entertained, but 
I know they have like okay, that was from their big weird King of the Mountain Impact or GFW. Like that was their big unification belt, I believe. <coughs> this is what I need yeah. uh, CVE Cody to straighten me out on Impact storylines. But that is the the extra belt that was the unified belt before the the owl and before the unified impact belt i think or maybe that was the owl belt i don't know but they're both a world belt like i get that they brought in another another championship that That was was the old one the the one that austin has is the old one so he lost the match but he's holding on to the old belt so he's the old belt wasn't on the line. It was an Impact title match. Impact has only been around for two months. And he's still a GFW champ. Or whatever. The, the, well, that owl belt is what he's got. Yeah. I love it. He's got the, the unified fuck that owl TNA GFW belt. <laughs> I love how he keeps saying it's, it's, uh, what, it's not the man that makes it. It's the man. Whatever he says, it makes sense when he says it. Like, uh, and I here saw- we are. We're guys that don't even know the storylines, but it's still fucking interesting, isn't it? Yeah, they've it's got great. Some, they've got some soft spots in there, um, but they have good the, vegan options at catering. The the Eddie Edwards, Sammy Callahan thing is interesting. Yeah, uh, still, and that story's been going since shit. The fucking lucha tapings started. I mean, that's that's a hot storyline, and it's still going. Well, I think they ramped it up because now it's not like you're you're not trying to figure out heat over a shoot accident. Like they're doing emotional stories with characters. So like, yeah, and it's been a while since you've seen that kind of thing uh, work out well on a wrestling show. Like guy going to the hospital and bringing somebody's girl into it and all that stuff. I mean, it's it's wrestling one hundred and one from the the early nineties. Um, but and it's, it's cheesy too. It, but it's cheesy in that good wrestling way. But it's great. Like Eddie is a perfect straight man for it. The straight man who who doesn't know how to keep himself in check. And Sammy Callahan is crazy. He is down to try anything once. He's that dude. And so the way he sells the storyline and the way he sells his certain type of yeah. uh, psychopath uh, is a different thing. Like he's not the he's not the cross kind where. Cross says something nice and mellow, and it's frightening. Frightening. Something he's doing, though, which is great, <laughs> that he's using restraint. And he's also, he is, like, this is Eddie's time to shine. You know what I mean? Maybe. Like, this is, this, like Eddie's at the front and center of this angle. He had his girlfriend or wife or whoever in the face with a bat. He's beating people up and getting retribution. He's the one with the character arc where he's, you know, yes, he has the character arc, but here's the difference between wrestling and regular conventional storytelling is that in wrestling where the character arc like this works and does something is when the character is created during this time and they come out of it on the other side as something wholly different. If he just goes back to being, bland Eddie Edwards doing his regular thing at the end of this storyline, it's not going to stick. It's not going to keep. Yeah. It's going to be a, a thing that happened that was hot and he was going to be part of the hot gimmick. And then it's, you know, ah, back to mid card obscurity, buddy. Like they've got to find a way for this to transform him into a permanent gimmick that people care about. And if you look yeah. at, if you look at Tommy dreamer and ECW, that's a good 
version of it. Tommy was the guy that nobody really cared about. He was a little bland and plain. Everyone thought he was a good worker. Everybody in the back liked him. But it wasn't until he started having some of those feuds where they brought in personal stories and the Singapore cane thing and the shit with Raven. It was like, but it changed Tommy so that Tommy had this moment in his matches where he would snap or in his vignettes where he would snap. And it was like, well, he would everyone color in, in his promos too. Right. It was like, everyone knew you had fucked up because you pushed the nice guy too far. Yeah. And they do that with Eddie Edwards and look, Tommy dreamers in the storyline with him. So if there's yeah. anybody there that can coach you to that, he's standing right there. I mean, Let's we were see talking if they can about pull it. it off. We were talking about when they had the big match and Dreamer was there, how it was just classic ECW and the setups were the same where the good guy getting revenge on, on the bad guy who's wronged him so viciously in the past. Now the bad guy is like in a prone position tied to the ropes, handcuffed to a steel cage. You know, the chair shot heard around the world. This was, the, you know, the whole same setup, but it's a guy in the ropes with a Singapore cane. Well, it's it's and, Heyman 101, too, is you don't bring out the Singapore cane unless you're going to use it eventually. Yeah. doesn't have to be the first day. doesn't have to be the second day. might not even be till the 10th or 11th day, but eventually you have to pay it off. Yeah, it's good stuff. Uh, right. I think, oh, and uh, another thing. Yes, Rebecca, um, I am that old. I am the oldest is. one by a long shot. Um, gray hairs under here or somewhere. I don't, I don't want to spend too much time on this, but the New Japan Cow Palace show stalled at about 3,000 tickets, and they have about 4,000 set aside for Japan for a 10,000-seat arena. It uh, looks like they're probably going to push to get Jericho back in there at least. Um, those are expensive tickets for running it so quickly after another Long Beach one. Like I think they could have done 6,000 easy if they went a year. Well, Cow Palace is a, is a big venue, and uh, up north is not as wrestling-friendly as it is down here. Yeah. Contrary to popular belief, right now, SoCal wrestling scene is hot. It's hot. We've got Lucha Underground. We've got PCW. We've got Mav Pro. We've got Bar. We've got uh, the Samoans, what, whatever their place is called. That yeah. show this past weekend was hot. Everybody was there. Like... If you really start looking at plus in San Diego, you know, Gus has been running shows down there forever. Now Conan's Absolutely. doing some stuff down there with Ray and there's all sorts of stuff going on. Like running a show down here, especially Long Beach, that's kind of in the middle. It's easier to draw. I don't know that the Cow Palace was the right call. I mean, it's definitely, it's a location. It's a venue with a lot of prestige. I really thought Sona sneaking up behind me for just no, a moment it's just yawning because it's time to start his day yeah but so uh weird. i just i'm not sure i i'm cons- i I'm, I'm not exactly sure what this means for all in but i do think all in is in a much better metropolitan area and i mean i, I think all, think in, all is in is a different better. story and i you yeah. know I, I know people that are going to expo lucha then straight to all in like people are flying yeah. the whole weekend and there's direct flights out of vegas into chicago they definitely um, do it better on ticket prices for all in. Yeah. Well, so. because part of the goal is to fill that thing. I mean, and, and, you know, I think people are coming in not at ridiculous rates to, to work that show there. Yeah. We'll Which see. Is great. But I just, I wonder, I hope, I hope Japan has success. That's kind of a big deal. Like if that, if that's a failure, they just 
put a dojo out here. Well, I mean, and that's the, that's the issue. It's like if you want those shows to be here with the big names, you got to go to them, people. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, it just means we, there it's a success if we get Naito and Jericho, which we might be getting tonight over in Japan. Like that might be getting kickstarted. I was uh, interesting to see footage of Jericho on uh, Monday Night Raw. You know, it was just showing Great Royal Rumble package stuff, but. Um, oh my god, and the package that they ran with the Saudi woman talking. Oh, so blatant. Uh, <laughs> really? I, I admit I, I know. Now. I know. No, they had another no, they had another package tonight where they're talking like everyone's talking about how great it was. So they have this man talking first, and then they have a woman. They cut out her family, but she says that she was there, and then she adds in with my family but I really want WWE to come back. And then they start showing clips of all the women in the audience who are cheering and stuff. It was, it was actually a good thing. It was WWE totally trying to subvert uh, their culture by now they have this footage showing these women having a good time at this event and not yeah. showing them in group shots with their husbands and kids. That because is cool. All the women that were, yeah, all the women who were there, if you don't know, had to be with a family. They were not allowed to be there by themselves. Yeah, and it's a it's a complicated situation. The female talent, uh, I think, was confirmed that they did get paid as if they worked. Uh, Corey Graves definitely was vocal uh, on Instagram tweeting about how he was glad to get the fuck out of that shithole. But then also um, Sami Zayn, who has wrestled there in oh, the past, yeah. was explicitly not allowed to go back this time because he's Syrian. Well, and look, there there are issues clearly. Yeah, um, it's. Uh, but at the same time, I don't know that everyone should be harsh on WWE for doing it. I really, I, I kind of believe in Linda McMahon. I know that sounds weird because politically, I don't see eye to eye with her, but she has moxie. And I believe that this had more to do with her than anyone else of her looking at Vince and saying, fuck yeah, take the money. And we're going to play this a certain way. Like I think she, I felt like her fingerprints are on some of those promos on some of the women who slipped on camera out there. I think she's got an agenda and everyone should give it some time because believe it or not, these are the kinds of things in the long run that can make a real difference in the world. And I know it's just dumbass wrestling, but at the same time, Vince goes in there with his grubby, greedy hands a couple of times to get a cash grab. They're going back. They, the Saudis paid what? $23 million for that show. Look, they do a couple of those a year and it covers some fucking paychecks on that roster. And that's good for the boys in the business. But at the same time, I think that WWE is going to try to subvert the pop culture of that whole country, be the thing and slowly slide in more and more stuff. If you look at, if you look at the storylines that they presented there, even this time, that's a lot for a country that's pretty much in the stone ages. Yo, but their Davari dude is getting death threats. The Iran thing's very dangerous to play. Sergeant yeah, Slaughter got he, death threats. Real uh, ones from Americans. The, uh, from Americans. We'll we have wingnut radicals here too. 
Yeah, they just happened to. Yeah, but he was he was selling out. He was made of any wingnut radicals. It's a different paycheck. We have wingnut radicals right here in America. They just happen to have them controlling their country over there. Oh wait, so do we. But it's a little different when you're getting a Sergeant Sarder paycheck, or you're getting like the Roddy Piper paycheck, where he's getting stabbed on the way out of the ring in Puerto Rico, you know, or you're or you're some dude who's barely wrestling. On 205. You know what I mean? Like, I'll get a death threat for, if I made an event with Hulk Hogan for six months. What were you saying, Meef? I was going to say, the thing is, is every, which I understand because I'm, you know, very. My football team, soccer. No, oh, all he talks about. Is touring, is touring Myanmar or Burma in this month. Where there's literally a genocide happening. Yeah, but you know, people need football to go there. Yeah, well, well, apparently we're we're trying to because football's massive in Myanmar, so we're trying to you know we're running football schools to help. <laughs> I mean, yeah. look, that's a good story. Uh, that's a real. That's a bit more Saudi Arabia. No, but the thing the thing is, look, obviously your FC is trying to do a money grab. There's no doubt about that. But at the same time, don't think that those money grabs can't be spun around to do something positive also. I really think they can. And I've seen we've seen these kind of things happen before. It's like you, you think something is just a stupid event for entertainment. Look at the Olympics. The Olympics is pretty much just dumb entertainment, too. But at the same time, it's solved world issues it's brought world issues to the light at times it's gotten some countries banned sometimes it's more controversial than others i think the fact that that wwe went to saudi arabia and got all these people talking like how many dumb wrestling fans do you think know more about saudi arabia now than they did before did the average wrestling fan even know that that you know women don't have these kind of rights in their country in that red square because that was yeah, a good example for you. Yeah. I mean, sometimes it takes some stupid event like this to make a difference. It takes uh, Rodman showing up somewhere and, and, and shaking the wrong hands to make people realize, like, oh, shit, maybe we shouldn't be shaking that fucker's hand. <laughs> and it's Rodman. <laughs> yeah. He's the key to unlocking uh, North look, Korea. Look. Dennis Rodman is going to bring North and South Korea together. It's all him. Trump can take credit for it all day long, but it's going to be really Dennis Rodman who laid the groundwork for anything positive with North Korea. (laughs) (laughs) And that, that frighteningly might actually be true. Yeah. He just wants to get back over. Kim Jong-un just wants, like he wants to go to another basketball game or something with Rodman and this he's using Trump and he's using everything else. Just to, you know, get the invite. I'm still trying to figure out that that cross first date in the woods thing. I, should I be really afraid of that? It reminds me of a joke where... Uh, he invites you. Where, I just didn't know how much of that was a joke and how much of that was real. I don't I, I don't know how to take uh, Killer Cross sometimes. It reminded me of, of this story where uh, Mr. Killer Cross and, and me and me Flo were walking into the woods one night. And Miflov turns to Mr. Killer Cross and says, Mr. Killer Cross, it sure is, you know, dark and spooky out here. I think I'm a little scared. 
And Mr. Killer Cross goes, you're scared. I have to walk back alone. <laughs> Sounds I about right. I don't know why I was Kevin alone. Yeah, I can't. He, I, I'm not even allowed to call him that anymore. I don't know if he's wanted or what, but I don't know. I'm just, I'm glad he showed up. I'm glad he answered some questions. I'm glad he had a little fun with us. We'll have to cut some of this up for Lucha Central, uh, which, by the way, if you're not on Lucha Central, go and sign up for an account. Try to win the Penta Mask and rate and like our best of videos. We got some more coming. We'll probably That's a dark dragon some, mask. Probably cut some stuff out of this. Um, and we have some other segments coming too. But this, the, the work that the guys are doing over there, they're putting in a lot of work. Like, all the CMLL is covered there. All the AAA is covered there. They have big plans on Lucha Underground coverage. Um, we're right there. We're going to be a part of it the whole time, too, doing doing what we do. Um, Conan is putting up content along with Ruben now. Like, there's there's real stuff going on. Check out LuchaCentral.com. And I'm not just saying that because we're fortunate enough to be a very, very small part of it, but because... Um, when Kleinrock contacted me about this and he kind of showed me the beta version of the site, I was just like, oh, this will be cool. But it's really going to be about what, you know, content is about and what the users are going to be about. The content there is on time. I think Lucha Central needs some more users and people interacting on, on that, get the message boards hot, start rating the articles, people to start commenting on them because I think it's a viable format for what's going on in Lucha Libre. And as we've been talking about on the show for the last four weeks and, and not intentionally, but because it's true, Lucha Libre is everywhere. Now Lucha underground was just the tip of the iceberg. It's spreading everywhere. We're still going to primarily be focused on Lucha underground, but the shit is spreading guys. It's everywhere. It used to be hard to do this show when Lucha underground was not on TV. It's a breeze to do it. Now we run out of time and an hour of the show used to be just a review of the episode of Lucha Underground. We haven't had yeah. a new episode to review in years. I didn't even get to talk about uh, UFC this week. I guess I'll do it next week. We talked about it with Cross. Well, we talked about Bellator. So I guess you're off the hook. Yeah, UFC will be First next of week. all, fucking Frank Mir dove. He took Stop a dive. It. He got a payday. He make you work that bullshit. If Fedora wanted to talk about... He would have hurt him in a big way. Yeah, I see you didn't say that shit to Cross, but whatever. You would have let me. I was going to say a bunch of shit. I was also going to. I know he was him. running out of time. He he asked me to make sure that he made his reservation on time because he was uh, meeting uh, Patrick, somebody over at Dorsey. Anyway, it doesn't He's matter. Talk about how disco is so great about everything. Yet every time someone gets a forearm to the head in a Japanese match he has to have this big old rant about it. And I wanted to have an actual talk with him about that. Oh, but he had I, to go have dinner. Look, I think I have, I, I have ideas in, about that. I think, I think, I think that that conversation can be had next time. Hopefully, uh, maybe after cross gets mad for a few weeks, maybe he won't be so killery next time we see him. And maybe you'll be able to have more of a mono e mono conversation. And I think, I think we'll probably yeah. get him back. Um, Depending on where he shows up next. I mean, I have no idea what's what's going to happen with him and Lucha Underground, but uh, I have it on good authority that he does have some type of a contract with them and that uh, yeah. they are fully prepared to unleash him on the world over there. I've heard that he's in talks in several other places as well. Um, 
it sounds like he's in talks with some people in Japan. It sounds like he's in talks with some other people with TV cameras here in the States. We'll see what's going on, man. He, he might show up in a lot of places this year. And if he does, uh, I think that he would be more than happy to come and discuss that and fucking Japanese forearms with you, Byron. Yeah. Especially if he's going to Japan. Maybe maybe if he, we find out he's going to Japan, maybe we have that conversation right before he gets on a plane. See if yeah. he's shook. I just thought it was so interesting about how Disco taught him to work a punch, more or less, work a strike. And Kraus seems like the kind of guy who enjoys laying it in on someone. No, I think he's just the opposite. I think that's... Uh, and, and I think that he's always been scared to work really stiff with guys because yeah. of the fact that he thinks he'll legit fucking hurt them. And for a guy with that presentation and, and who looks that way and who can legit strike... That's got to be an interesting conundrum because, and, and this is why I think Japan would be good for him, but it might be scary when he comes back because I think in Japan, he'll go easy and he'll try to be respectful and be shaking hands out there with everybody the first couple of days when he's in Japan. And then the other guys are going to start laying him in stiff on him because he's yeah. a nice big American gaijin. And then all of a sudden he's going to be like, wait, so this is how we're doing this? And then yeah. he's going to, gonna let loose on some of those bros imagine if he had a match with uh minoru suzuki no right suzuki's like at some point he stands you up in the middle of the ring and he goes okay you're gonna hit me as hard as you can and i'm gonna hit you as hard as i can and let's see how tough you really are right but part of the trick to that gimmick is doing that doing it for real and yet not giving the other guy a concussion yeah which doesn't always work. <laughs> well, you don't you don't headbutt someone like Shibata did. Like he was he was on that path, unfortunately. Wow. Was, but you, when you form, you form the fucking meat of the neck. You there's know what a, I mean? There's a way to do it, but I mean, you're still doing it pretty hard. And if you, I'm not, I'm not a worker. I'm not over the elbow, and I'm not either. But I know how the real version is thrown. And the difference between what I see with the workers and what the real version is, is this much. So the real question for a guy like Cross is, can he keep away from the this much part? Can he keep away from the part where he turns over his hip, twists the elbow and comes into it? Because that's hard. Like, I don't know how you do it in wrestling where you just come, you come straight forward and you turn the meat up and you don't like slice with the elbows. In real life, you're trying to slice. Even if it's here. Oh, here. no, no. They don't do. Yeah, they're not doing elbow strikes. They're oh, doing, no. Sometimes Suzuki break. especially. Come on. No, no. They, they put the forearm they, into they, the meat of the neck and get a slap. Yeah, but you get you get carried away with that, man. And it's, or sometimes Jinder will put the forearm, maybe the bony part, in your forehead. <laughs> yes, we. Yes. I missed that. Yeah, but he turned his chin. He turned his chin, though. He turned his chin. Hey, uh, I got to go, so, but also... it's You were the one who said you had to go 20 minutes ago. Let's go then. What, what's gone? Shinsuke's throwing the Bomaye to a Neil to a pro and AJ Styles again, like old school. How about that? That's because AJ is the only one in the entire company that knows how to fucking take it the right way. AJ's like, you're going to do this for, right, for real. You're not doing a roundhouse kick. He's got to be backstage going, um, bro. I've worked in Japan. It's fine. Can we just do the move and make this shit look good? Now punch me in the dick. <laughs> Miflo, if you got anything you want to throw out, you got anything you need to plug? Plug your next band no, show. No, no, no. 
Um, okay. Don't forget that the Jim Skay shirt is still available. And uh, Meefloaf designed that from an actual photo of Jim Skay Natamura. Yeah. It's still available. Almost our best-selling shirt ever. But right now, it's still the Where's Casey t-shirt by, I believe, one shirt. Which will make Casey happy. Um, Casey did get his muscle figures, by the way. Um, I'm supposed to say talk about that at the top of the show. I completely forgot. Uh, because I got a little carried away with the Thanos is a racist thing, but I'm really mad about uh, Black Lives. Look, Black Lives don't matter in the Marvel Universe, apparently. At least not like 30% of them. Meefloaf gets so annoyed by this. Do you reckon they killed some white characters just to like try and make it look less racist? No, that's sad. You don't want to do that. People I don't know, that. man. It's like the old horror movies from the 80s where it was like the black guy always died first. And then you had the horror movies, you know, in the 90s or late 80s where it was like, well, Ernie Hudson is the black guy and he lives all the <sighs> well, way to the end and still dies. Or like Sam Jackson in that shark movie or LL Cool J or whatever. They still fucking kill him. And then, you know, here we're thinking, oh, the Marvel Universe is all great and glorious. And Black Panther wasn't like just black folks doing good. It was like black folks can be superheroes and no one thinks about it and everyone goes and sees it. And then they just fucking literally erase all of that with Avengers and fucking Thanos and his goddamn infinity glove. And they kill off all the black characters. They kill them first. They kill them last. They kill them in the middle. They just fucking kill all the black guys except for the one who's barely black. Oh, sorry. Am I ruining this movie for you? I don't know. I might see it. They looking going. What's interesting, though, anyone who's ever worked at a haunted house knows that in real life, the black people in a horror movie, not to like be all those people, but the black people in the horror movie would be the first ones to fight back. They'd be the ones that would live because when you go boo, they go down swinging. But (laughs) yeah, they're not going to. Yeah, they're definitely not going to be the dumb first victims, though. Oh, God, Byron, you would hate me in a haunted house. I went to Nightmares in Niagara Falls. It's like this four-star. You touch someone when they scare you. I had to to say whatever the code word was and get them to take me out of there. Not because I was afraid, but because my adrenaline was running on like 700. And like every time somebody came around the corner, I was like, what? What? (laughs) Say some shit right now. Say some Go Say boo. Say boo, motherfucker. What? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and like i could hear i could no. i could hear the cameras following me like oh shit we need to get this guy out <laughs> i did a movie i did a movie out of hana here right that's like the stereotype you know what i mean like it's not like i don't people. know look it's, the, there's it's stereotypes happening. and then there's things that are true like and that's yeah i am any indication happen. of that being a truism and not a stereotype um yeah we uh, we have like I'm also I'm also a lot Irish though so maybe it's the Irish yeah. side that's doing well that. Irish are always ready to fight and they're always kind of drunk but it's funny because like you'll see a pack of screaming white girls or you see like some other dude like apologizing all the time but you know it's just it's fun it's just things uh, the world doesn't you know it's not always PC in haunted houses. Well, things are what they are. The Marvel you know universe I mean? is no longer PC. And the next time we have Jim on the show, I'm going to have to fucking bring it back to the spoilers. I was I'm trying a, to erase. I got a bone to pick with Jim. You got a bone for Jim. No, I have a bone to pick with Jim. Me. I'll send what you I- this great uh, Thanos website that I got today on my, my Facebook feed. 
I thought they the moratorium on, spo- on spoilers for Marvel movies that have already earned over $800 million was five days, Byron. I don't have free time until next weekend. But you're the only one. You realize like nobody else watching this show right now is even partially mad at anything I said. Can you ask Meef a question before I go to bed? Yeah. Meef. Meef. Meef loaf. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Hey. I'm did listening. you hear? Did, did, it looks like there's a dude over your shoulder. It's really creepy. I know. Okay. First time. All right. Did you hear when Justin said he had a bone for Jim? No, he said he had a bone for Jim. I wanted to clarify right. that so you knew what he said. Jim, Jim's a pretty, he's a pretty man, you know, it's fine. He is very pretty. I'm glad he brought that up. He ordered a small of the Jim Skate Nakamura shirt. If he, he actually fits into a small. Oh, yeah. That's for his muscles. So, like, when he's posing next time, like, his gas stop. When he's like, oh, no, no, I, I, I get too big that. For my I get sleeve. that. But Jim, Jim like, is pussy slayer. Okay, look. <laughs> just don't take your ladies to Lucha Underground. Don't so, take them to Lucha Underground. It's a curse. So I but, told you. I but, told but, you. But Byron, you've seen me and Jim standing next to each other. Am I that much larger than Jim? God. Oh God. We're not that we're not that far apart size wise. But Can I wear see? a large shirt and larges are tight and athletic on me. Okay. Jim ordered a small bro there's no way his torso is getting in a small and it's not looking like he's wearing a, a girl's baby t-shirt i think i think jim can do whatever he wants and that includes going to the gym every day i know he works out bro i get it but damn if he can actually get pull that shirt off I'm seriously going to look at my eating and exercise habits because we're not that much different size wise. He might be doing a lot of cardio these days and not like power lifting, you know, lifting for mass. <sighs> I don't know. All I know is I think I need, the next shirt I'll make with SS on the end. That could be a Lucha Libre themed shirt. And right here. Yeah. <laughs> Lucha. And then right the words Aero Lucha underneath. Oh, you stop. Yeah. What? You know we have a lot of friends over there, right? <laughs> Just saying. All right, guys. So Meeflove got it right last week. He actually stay cool I don't, and I don't know stay if in the mix. Oh, Byron, you fucking idiot. I was gonna give you another chance. I was gonna give you a stay chance. Me- Hold on. See if you can do it right. Meeflove did it right last week. Can you actually do it? I will give you the sign off if you can do it right. Did you just leave? Fuck it. Stay calm and stay in the mix. Mm-hmm.